From New York City, for our viewers worldwide, I'm Lisa Abramowitz in for Jonathan Farrow. Right now, we are looking at a softer tone to markets, but it is quiet ahead of a Thanksgiving-shortened week, down just three-tenths of a percent on the S&P. The countdown to the open starts right now. Everything you need to get set for the start of U.S. trading. This is Bloomberg The Open with Jonathan Farrow. We begin with the big issue, gearing up for a turbulent year ahead. There is going to be pain. Slow down with respect to growth. The U.S. is going to be flirting with a recession. We have probably a pretty powerful recession coming. When you have this magnitude of rate hikes in such a short period, and you're also withdrawing liquidity through quantitative tightening, it's going to bite. Wages have not kept up with prices. Real income's coming down. Thankfully, it's also now starting to bite inflation. That doesn't mean that we're going to now swiftly go back to 2%. A lot depends on what the Fed does. The market is asking the Fed, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Trying to fine-tune where is the peak of interest rates. The Fed keeps saying, no, sit down in the back seat and be quiet. There are huge opportunities underneath the surface. We're still going to be facing an awful lot of volatility in 2023. Meanwhile, investors hoping for a better 2023 are poised for a disappointment. That's the view from Goldman Sachs, expecting the bear market to last into next year, writing, quote, the near-term path for equity markets is likely to be volatile and down. The conditions that are typically consistent with an equity trough have not yet been reached. I am so pleased to say that joining us right now is a Peter Oppenheimer of Goldman Sachs who penned those bearish prognostications. And I am wondering from your perspective, just how bearish are you? Why do you see this as continuing and how much further? Thanks, Lisa. Well, I, I think the key point here is not that we're so bearish in terms of I think that you're going to see uh, some more volatility and another move down. Uh, but I think that the conditions, in our view, that need to be in place to establish... Peter, I think that we're having some trouble with your audio, so let's try to reconnect and hopefully uh, we can get back to you. Maybe uh, as we try to reestablish the line, there is this issue as we take a look at the bear market not being over, Morgan Stanley agreeing and believing that there is going to be uh, some sort of downturn, Morgan Stanley seeing it going potentially down to S&P, down to 3,000 uh, before coming back 
to the hope phase. Joining us now to discuss how to sort of position ahead of a tumultuous year, J.P. Morgan's Jack Manley and Mike Katopoulos of RB Advisors. Uh, Mike, I want to start with you, and I, I'm really curious from your perspective with all the bearishness, we haven't seen it percolate into credit. Is this a supportive factor into next year, or is this something that could potentially be problematic because it will also get hit as companies start to have to actually refinance? Lisa, I think it's problematic. I, I mean, you know, the credit market is, is kind of living in a fantasy land right now. They're they're really pricing in just an ideal scenario where the economy slows um, just enough to bring down inflation, not enough to, uh, to you know, dent earnings growth or increase uh, increase defaults much. And, and I think that's just sort of a, a bad hypothesis. I mean, you look at 2023 and it's clear we're going to go into an earnings recession. You know, high yield credit, for example, does not do well when you go into an earnings recession. It doesn't matter how strong, you know, balance sheets are today. They're going to weaken as, as earnings growth slows. Um, and then, of course, listen, you've got much higher rates and, and, and incredibly tight lending standards. And that's going to prove problematic for portions of the loan market. Anybody who has to refinance in the next couple of years. And I think sentiment's going to get dinged up pretty bad. And, and that's not good for, for broad risk assets. And that really speaks to what Peter Oppenheimer was talking about. And hopefully we can reconnect with him, uh, given the technology fissures. But I wonder, Jack, from your standpoint over at J.P. Morgan, whether you do agree that there is going to be a trough further out in the distance before we get to that capitulation, after which perhaps you could get a more sustainable rally, but we're not there yet. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly agree that the credit fundamentals don't don't really line up with with what reality is showing us. Uh, I guess on the equity side of things, the silver lining here, the good news here, if you want to if you want to be sort of optimistic about it, glass half full is that, well, a lot of what's happened this year, in fact, basically everything that's happened this year has been driven by multiple uh, compression. So the good news going into 2023 from an equity market perspective is that stocks aren't expensive anymore, at least not in the way that they were at the start of the year. The problem, of course, is that that earnings shoe has not really dropped yet. And the big question right now is just how bad are earnings going to be as we move through 2023? I don't think anybody is expecting good news from an earnings perspective. It's really just a question of how bad it actually is. But from that valuation perspective, from the multiple perspective, Lisa, that is at least one Thing that's uh, keeping me modestly optimistic about uh, about short-term equity performance potential. Well, and this this sort of uh, tension right now between valuations being low but potential outlooks deteriorating has been highlighted by a lot of Wall Street research, including Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, who just wrote, quote, we still expect higher highs for this tactical rally. So that's the positive. Before the deteriorating fundamentals, that's the negative. Take us to lower bear markets, uh, market lows next year. How much, Jack, have we already seen, though, some of that that disappointment bled into this uh, last quarter's results because there were a lot of disappointments and they were severely punished by the market action. This whole year has been a disappointment. I mean, it's been an extraordinarily challenging year to be uh, a strategist and try to figure out where things are going over the short or medium term, because at every turn, uh, you are being challenged by by, by something new. Uh, I mean, I could see another 5%, 10% lower on this equity market. I'm not particularly optimistic about this current rally. I don't really think it has legs. I don't think uh, it has a whole lot to stand on. But uh, I do like that valuation story, Lisa. I don't want to you know, beat, beat a dead horse here. But 
Markets are off so much from where they were in January that I think if you extend your time horizon by more than 12 months and look out over 18, 24 months and beyond, the story starts to get a lot more interesting because 2023 may not be a great year for earnings, but 2024 probably will be a will be a pretty decent one. And if we can get over this 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 trouble, if the recession that is coming ends up being shorter or at least shallow in nature, I think we can look beyond the short term chop and focus in on the on that longer term story. Meanwhile, from the nuts and bolts of cash flow, Michael Kontopoulos, this has been one of the key issues for me. And I read this in your note and I thought it was fascinating where uh, private markets are with respect to default rates, where private markets are with respect to companies really rethinking their ambition because it's just expensive to borrow money. It is expensive to expand. And that really gives a feeling for how long the downturn could be and how much layoffs could uh, accelerate. What are you seeing in the private markets that arguably are more leveraged than public markets in pockets? And what does that tell you about the future ahead? Yeah, Lisa, if you, if you think about what's happened over the last 10 years, I mean, the traditional investment banks have been disintermediated from financing the riskiest companies. I mean, that's what, you know, the post-global financial crisis regulation was meant to do, is to, to shore up bank balance sheets, which, by the way, hasn't really seemed to work very much if you go back and you look at all the hung bridge loans and deals that basically can't get off uh, dealer balance sheets these days. But, but besides the point, listen, private markets stepped in to basically fill the void in financing the, the worst of the worst companies. And, and that only got worse as you had a bubble sort of percolate in the broader economy and broader markets because of infinite liquidity. And that's all about to unwind. I, I, I kind of think it's interesting that, you know, most private managers out there tout how you'll realize lower defaults because of their ability to basically shepherd a, a, a troubled company through through uh, trying times, and yet private defaults today, uh, by some measures, are close to 4%, while public debt, which is probably the safest market that you've had in the high yield space in, in decades, you know, public default rates are closer to one or one and a half percent. So it's nearly three times the default rate in, in the private space right now. And, and that goes to sort of what I was mentioning earlier, right? 2023 is going to be a really challenging year. I think for broad equity markets and credit markets in general, and, and the playbook's pretty obvious. The, the playbook is you have to get defensive. You don't own illiquid markets like private credit in these types of environments. There'll be a time for that in the future, but next year's not it. All right. Well, meanwhile, we'll get back to this and really dig a little bit further. In the meantime, on the macro phase, China COVID fears have been reemerging, worsening outbreaks over the weekend, stoking concerns that authorities may return to tighter restrictions. Bloomberg Kaylee Lines joining us now with more. Kaylee. Well, Lisa, it's a worsening outbreak, not just in terms of total cases, but the fact that we actually had fatalities reported in China for the first time in about six months. So this is throwing a huge bucket of cold water on the whole idea that this economy was going to be reopening and these curves were going to be loosened. Now the fear is that they might be tightened once more. And that is weighing heavily on Chinese stocks. We saw that in the Asian session overnight, and that is continuing here in the U.S. session with those ADRs under pressure. Alibaba, Baidu, Bilibili, JD.com, all down to the tune of uh, 2 to 5%. Of course, JD.com, one of the big underperformers, down nearly 5 percentage points. But of course, it had rallied 52% from its recent low in late October. So there was a 
big buildup coming into today. And that has really been true for the broader group of Chinese companies listed here in the U.S. because of what has been a series of good news events, earnings better than expected, seeming easing, easing of relations between the U.S. and China. You had support for the property sector as well. And what until today seemed like it would be an easing up of COVID zero policy. So all that together had the NASDAQ Golden Dragon China index up about 33% from its low in late October, but it still remains down 33% on the year. So it just goes to show you how far we had fallen. And then outside of equities, I want to talk about commodities as well, specifically iron ore, which is very sensitive to the China growth story in terms of demand. Because of all that reopening optimism, we have seen it have a very, very hot November, up about 23.5% this month, giving back some of those gains today, which was actually only one of three days in the month of November thus far that we have seen these futures moving lower obviously today that based off of the new COVID news and that news as well part of why Goldman Sachs cut its oil forecast for the fourth quarter they now see Brent at $100 a barrel rather than $110 a barrel given what they see is the possibility of further lockdowns what I will say though Lisa is that may be bad news for commodities prices if you're long could be good news on the inflation story if China's reopening is delayed further. Kaylee Lyons thank you so much we well, mentioned Goldman Sachs and Goldman Sachs is with us Peter Oppenheim uh, we apologize to you and thank you for bearing with us through the technical uh, difficulties. Peter, from your vantage point, this has been one of the underpinnings of the recent optimism is the potential reopening of China as well as Europe avoiding the worst case scenario. How much is that going to play to the next leg lower in the bear market if that optimism isn't totally founded, at least uh, to the degree that the market is pricing in? Thank you, Lisa, and apologies for the connection before. Uh, you're quite right. There have been some good pieces of news that markets have absorbed over the last few weeks. Uh, signs of an opening up in China, as you mentioned, a very mild winter so far in Europe, gas prices have fallen. And of course, that evidence that US inflation is reaching a peak. Um, but we have to acknowledge that markets are really pricing that. Let's not forget that the S&P, for example, is trading at a P multiple of over 17 times, pretty much where it was at the beginning of the year, despite the fact that real interest rates have broadly doubled since then. And we're still looking at around zero earnings growth in the U.S. next year, less in places like Europe. So I think the markets are going to be exposed to marginally any more difficult news that comes through, particularly on growth. Uh, over the coming months. And we don't think we've yet hit the sort of conditions that we would typically see at a genuine trough in a bear market uh, that, that helps to form the base for a sustained rebound. What kind of downturn are you looking for? I know that uh, Michael Wilson, Wilson over at Morgan Stanley has talked about the potential for even a 24% decline from here to 3,000 on the S&P. Are you in line with that kind of projection? Not quite to that level, no. We're not so negative about the downsides from here. We just think there'll be more volatility and a trend towards a lower market level before we get that trough. The reason we're not quite so negative is because there are some positives. We do think that the U.S. economy will avoid a hard landing. Uh, we think that there is going to be recession across Europe, but even that is likely to be relatively mild. And we should acknowledge that private sector balance sheets are pretty good, in particular banks and broadly corporates as well. But notwithstanding that, 
valuations haven't really yet fallen to the sorts of levels you would tend to get as investors worry about an economic and a profit downturn. And also, we're likely to see further weakness in growth momentum in the next quarter or so uh, before we really get to uh, the nadir, the worst point in this in this downturn. It's not really until we hit that that markets tend to recover. And I would say just finally on this point, there is a lot of optimism now that the pace of rate increases is going to slow as central banks get a little, little bit more confident that inflation is closer to a peak. But that said, you don't typically get markets reaching a trough until interest rates actually start to come down. And we're still a long way away from that. Well, and we were just speaking with Jack Manley of J.P. Morgan, Mike Katopoulos of RB Advisors about the fundamentals and how much free money kind of uh, fostered what we saw and then the lack of it, the downturn. And from that perspective, how much can technology shares really continue to regain leadership position? And we've talked a lot about that this year. But when we do get those uh, rate cuts, will it be technology that outperforms and drives the equity indexes higher? Or will it be someone else or will it be a more even weighted kind of uh, a rush I think it's going to be a lot more uh, even weighted a lot more eclectic what we're really seeing this year is the reversal of the trend that we saw in the post pandemic pandemic era that was supported then by zero rates and a lot of money printing and that really pushed up the value of the longest duration growth stocks to towards record highs and it's not that there's not going to be great opportunities in technology. I think there will be. But valuations still need to come down. They have been, uh, but they still remain relatively expensive compared to the more traditional and value-orientated parts of the market, which have been outperforming this year. They've seen stronger growth in earnings, uh, but they've continued to get even cheaper. So I think that the rotation towards value that we've seen really driving uh, the returns this year is likely to continue uh, over the coming months. And then we'll get a bit more of a mix, really, between quality growth that will benefit eventually as interest rates come down and some of the more traditional areas that will benefit from a lot more capex spending into the next cycle. Peter Oppenheimer, thank you so much uh, for taking the time and bearing with us. Jack Manley and Mike Kantopoulos will be sticking with us. Thank you to them as well. Joining us now with a look at the stocks moving ahead of the opening bell, here's Abigail Doodle. Well, Abby. Lisa, let's start out with today's big story stock. And that, of course, is Disney. Shares are soaring, in fact, heading to their best day since December of 2020. As into today, heading to the worst year on record since 1975. This, of course, in the news that the board is bringing Bob Iger back on uh, for a two-year stint as CEO. This after 40 years with Disney, 15 of those years, as you know, as CEO, his hand-picked replacement, Bob Shapek, is out, although I may add with $23 million. And his goal, uh, Iger's, is to rein in spending on programming for streaming video, reignite growth for Disney+, Plus, plus bring in a permanent replacement. As for some of the weakness that we're seeing that are dragging on futures, Kelly was talking about that zero COVID policy or the fears around COVID in China. Well, that's weighing also on the chip space and early. Earlier, Bitcoin was below $16,000 per Bitcoin, Lisa. That has some of the crypto stocks, including Coinbase, trading lower. Abigail, thank you so much. Coming up, the Fed Speak Parade continuing ahead of Wednesday's minutes. There is more work to be done. 
I expect that this will require additional increases in the federal funds rate, followed by a period of holding rates at a sufficiently restrictive level for some time. That conversation coming up next on this holiday shortened week. This is Bloomberg. This is Countdown to the Open. I'm Lisa Abramowitz. Jonathan Farrow just moments away from the opening bell. We could see that negative tone actually getting a little bit lesser of a negative as time goes on. NASDAQ down about a half a percent. The S&P down about a third of one percent. You're seeing yields a little bit lower on the front end. Difficult to really get a sense in this holiday shortened week. I will say, though, uh, Brent crude falling below $85 a barrel for the first time going back to September. Uh, you're seeing that play out in WTI down to 76.83, down uh, about 4% uh, today in the initial minutes of the opening bell. And the dollar, a little bit of dollar strength, reversing the dollar weakness, 102.51 for the euro versus the dollar. Joining us now with a look at the stocks moving at the opening bell, here's Abigail Doolittle. Well, Lisa, as a result of that uh, oil weakness, we do have energy as the worst sector on the day, and we'll be taking a look at one of those individual movers uh, in a moment. But first, let's return to Disney because these shares are soaring the best day since December of 2020. This, of course, as Bob Iger comes back in as CEO. Uh, Bob Shapek is out, although he may add with $23 million. And Iger's uh, new task really is to rein in spending on programming for the streaming video, plus reignite the growth for Disney Plus and find another new replacement, one who hopefully works out for a bit longer. This stock, I might add, uh, into today had been on pace for its worst year, going all the way back to 1975, the worst year ever. As far as some of the other uh, movers on the day, of course, with stocks down, we do have a number of laggards, including Amazon. Actually, Amazon has flipped higher up, nine-tenths of one percent, really showing you that the intraday volatility uh, that we've had all year is continuing. But this company, of course, has black Black Friday either worry about or who knows, maybe it will be a boon for them. ConocoPhillips, though, on oil falling. Uh, Brent crude, as you were mentioning, below $85 per barrel, down about 3%. U.S. Steel also down 1%. This, of course, has to do with the COVID fears out of China, Lisa. China is the world's largest user of natural resources. So we have a lot of these materials and energy stocks down. And then Coinbase Global, it is off of its pre-market lows, but nonetheless down 1.4% earlier. As you know, Bitcoin back below $16,000 uh, per Bitcoin. And of course, still lots of questions and fear around the extent of the FTX uh, uh, bankruptcy and uh, the fraud. What will it mean, that crisis and confidence for crypto? Abigail, thank you so much. Sticking with Disney, chair of the board, Susan Arnold, writing, quote, we've concluded that as Disney embarks on an increasingly complex period of industry transformation, Bob Iger is uniquely situated to lead the company through this pivotal period. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow joining us right now with more. Ed. Good morning, Lisa. Uniquely situated because he spent four decades at the company, 15 years as CEO. Many investors and most on the sell side are cheering this. You see that in the stock reaction, though it is surprising. Chapek only extended his contract by a three-year period in July, and it was less than a year ago that Iger had retired from the executive chairman role. 
the big focus is the streaming business. The streaming losses for fiscal 22 were 4.5 billion dollars, almost double what the company outlined it expected them to be at the beginning of fiscal 22. The problem is outlined in that chart that the losses from the streaming business are outpacing the growth in revenue on the direct-to-consumer business. There is some feeling on the sell side, at least, that Chapek, uh, you know, was not as focused or as ruthless on the bottom line as he could be, and Iger coming back will have that focus. Uh, his remit, as Abby said, is two years as CEO with a drive of new strategy while trying to seek a successor. But times are challenging. The stock down more than 40% year-to-date, on track for its worst annual decline since the 70s. The macro picture has changed, of course, but so has the industry and the environment for streaming. They've hung their hat on this streaming business, Lisa. The problem is business needs to be profitable, and there's a feeling actually Iger is the man to fix that. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow, thank you so much for that. Both Goldman and Morgan Stanley expecting a challenging year ahead for stocks. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson reiterating his view this morning, writing, quote, what's yet to be priced is the earnings risk, and that is what ultimately will serve as the catalyst for the market to make new price lows in the first quarter. Bloomberg's Kaylee Lines joining us now. Kaylee, what do you see? Well, it may not be whole new year, new me thing for this equity market, Lisa. If you listen not just to Morgan Stanley, but Goldman Sachs as well, which says the bear market is likely to persist through the duration of next year. They essentially think that at the end of 2023, we're going to be around 4,000, which is not much changed from where we are now. Goldman says the conditions typically consistent with an equity trough just have not yet been reached. And therefore, the recent gains we've seen aren't sustainable because stocks don't typically recover from troughs until you see the rate of deterioration and economic and earnings growth start to slow down. Now, Goldman's view isn't really far off from the consensus call for next year. At this point, the average strategist target in this month's survey has the index down at 39.31 come end of 2023, although it's pretty telling that's already 3% lower than they saw in the initial 2023 survey back in October. But clearly, the broad consensus is we won't be much changed, which echoes the view of Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley, which you mentioned, reiterating today that he thinks we will end next year near the current level, but it will be a bumpy ride to get there. He thinks we'll fall as low as 3,000 in the first quarter, which would be a 24% drop from Friday's close. As for what history suggests about whether a bearish call like that may actually come to fruition, the average peak to drop decline for the S&P 500 over the last 50 years of recession history has been about 37%. We were down 25% this time around before the recent rally on that cooler inflation data. So there's a 12 percentage point gap there from the norm. That could lend support to the idea that this bottom is not yet in, Lisa. Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons, thank you so much. So bearish that it becomes bullish. Defiance ETF Sylvia Jablonski seeing signs of a trough, writing, quote, Stay the course. Invest for the future. When people are this pessimistic and doomsday driven, it's likely a sign we are bottoming out. I am pleased to say Sylvia joins us now. So how strong is that conviction that you feel like, all right, people are so gloomy, so doomy. That's a screaming buy signal. 
Hi, Lisa. So I, I, I don't think that it's necessarily a screaming buy signal in terms of a short-term, you know, turnaround and, and, you know, major profit opportunity. But I do think that the market is going to kind of stay where it is. And even with the most bearish analysts that you just referenced, Mike Wilson and Goldman Sachs talking about 4,000, that means that we get range-bound volatility probably between now and then. So you're going to get these bursts and perhaps these short-term opportunities. You'll get these pullbacks, but the market is unlikely to sort of fall, you know, further out for the next year. What I think in terms of this market is that it's a great opportunity to dollar cost average in for those investors who have time horizons beyond 2023. Because we've talked about all the things that haven't happened to really call a bottom in terms of earnings pulling back and that, you know, 30 37% move in the S&P. But what we're really also looking for is perhaps the positive things that could happen. So if inflation has peaked and it continues a downward trajectory and doesn't get stuck at you know three to four percent that's a positive if china reopens and covid becomes a thing of the past you know we keep sort of saying that but it's still in our in our world and our ecosystem here you know that will be a positive for markets we need a catalyst in either direction to get investors off of the sidelines but in the short term you know i do think you can pick your spots for the longer term names like tech semiconductors i mean they are so far off 52 week highs that i i just strongly believe that there's dollar cost averaging opportunities in those types of names. One thing that uh, defines ETFs does so well is thematic investing. And that's really one of the main spots for ETFs at this point when a lot of people are casting doubt on indexes in the face of the tech weakness. How much has tech clouded some of the valuation case made for other sectors that are being reflected into inflows into certain thematic ETFs that you oversee? So that's a great question. I, I think the performance of tech has has just led to this contagion in terms of any kind of you know higher growth, innovative, thematic ETF type of product. It's it's you know sort of shown up with crypto. Crypto has obviously gotten worse because of FTX in recent days. But anything that's sort of high growth and risk, you know, it sort of makes sense because interest rates are a lot higher. You have a hawkish Fed. You have slower growth in the near term. So investors tend to pull back in those scenarios. But interestingly enough, we've started to see inflows into the funds in recent weeks, which leads us to believe that a lot of the you know sort of buyers and investors out there are thinking. Okay, you know, 5G, for example, we need 5G to communicate, to connect rural and urban America for electric vehicles, artificial intelligence, and, and semiconductors are, are, you know, just notoriously hammered this year. Perhaps we are at a low in certain areas like that, and then that feeds the theme of, you know, sort of things like quantum computing, 5G, data learning. So you do see some um, bottom picking out there in thematics, and then thematics in different areas, for example, alternative energy, for example, are seeing great flows. So we have a lot of interest in hydrogen, for example, and we're seeing investors looking to diversify their portfolio exposure in that way by picking up, you know, ETFs and, and single name stocks in that space. So how much, Sylvia, you mentioned Bitcoin, and I know that Defiance ETFs also has some short uh, Bitcoin and short crypto ETFs. And I'm wondering from your perspective, do you have any insight into why there hasn't been broader fallout. Uh, we were just speaking with Peter Scheer uh, earlier this morning, and he was talking about the possibility of Bitcoin going below $10,000. I mean, how much is this something that you're seeing as a theme among the retailers and the institutions that use your funds? 
So the, the way that we approach it is we look at companies that are related to the blockchain digital asset ecosystem. So not crypto itself, but names like MicroStrategy that hold a lot of crypto or Coinbase that are impacted by crypto, Block, Galaxy, things like that. So these names are actually negatively impacted by crypto falling from 70,000 down to you know 16,000 where we are now and perhaps if it goes to 10. So you might see a bid in shorting a lot of those types of names, whether through an ETF or individually, if crypto continues to fall. In terms of the broader market, though, you know, it, I, I think it's sort of a good thing that, you know, the, the sort of crash of FTX isn't impacting Apple, for example, right? So it is this sort of unique discrete asset class. And I think, look, you'll have traders that, that play both sides of this, right? I think a lot of investors strongly believe in the long-term future of blockchain technology. And so they'll sco scoop up some big, you know, Bitcoin here because it'll be a payment method for Web3 and, and you know, the build out of sort of all that. But in the near term, it's it's like any other short fund, right? When the market is falling and you have an opportunity to benefit from, um, you know, falling prices of stocks that relate to crypto, investors love it. Sylvia Jablonski, thank you so much and happy Thanksgiving. Coming up, Hightower's Patrick Frizzetti expecting more clarity around inflation to come next summer. More on that next. From New York, this is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg's The Open. I'm Lisa Mateo, live in the principal room. Coming up, J.M. Smucker CEO, Mark Smucker. That conversation at 3.30 p.m. in New York, 8.30 p.m. in London. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Markets, the open, taking a look at the Fed speak this week. Uh, the Fed's Collins seeing another 75 basis point move on the table. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic taking a less hawkish stance than his colleagues, saying over the weekend, quote, assuming the economy evolves as I expect in the coming weeks, I would be comfortable starting the move away from 75 basis point increases at the next meeting. Joining us now, I'm so pleased to say, is Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Mike. Well, Lisa, this is the week of the Fed minutes, and a lot of people are going to be paying attention to that, but you probably don't need to, and here's why. The minutes reflect what the Fed was thinking back on November 2nd. And since then, as Lisa was just noting, an awful lot of Fed officials have been speaking. Six of the 12 who will vote have said they're willing to step down from 75 to 50, if that's what the chairman would like. The chairman says so as well. And six more of the members of the 19 uh, members of the committee have also said the same thing. Most of the rest have not spoken. And Collins didn't say she wants 75. She just says it's on the table. So what is a three-week-old set of minutes going to tell us? Not a whole lot. Most of these Fed people have been saying they're still data-dependent. They want to leave themselves with lots of room to make decisions based on the data and a lot of data out this week because uh, we're compressing it all ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. Daily Mester, George and Bullard, who've all taken a position speaking this week, that Wednesday's the big day, probably want to look at jobless claims and uh, the Michigan sentiment numbers about the idea of whether or not people think inflation in expectations are going up. Then we've got those minutes. 
But the big news is going to be next week, on the 30th, on Wednesday. Jay Powell is going to be speaking at the Brookings Institution, and he's going to be quizzed on monetary policy. So I think uh, the minutes this Wednesday are probably not going to mean a whole lot if you've got Jay Powell two days ahead of the Fed blackout telling us what he thinks uh, should happen and is likely to happen. So Lisa will keep an eye on that. That doesn't mean we won't carry the minutes or cover them. I'll be there. But, <laughs> For sure. but this week may not be as important as next week. Michael McKee, thank you very much. I do want to bring you this. Uh, within the past 10 minutes, the Wall Street Journal has been reporting that Saudi Arabia and other OPEC oil producers are talking about actually increasing production of uh, their output or increasing their output. And part of this could heal the, the issue that's come up with the Biden administration and also come ahead of additional sanctions on Russian oil. Some people speculating that this is what's behind some of the declines that we've seen in uh, crude prices with Brent falling below $85 a barrel for the first time since September. Meanwhile, we do have this feeling right now in markets uh, that there is this disinflationary force. Perhaps this will add to it. And joining us to really parse through that is Patrick Frizzetti of Hightower uh, right now. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us. How much are you seeing this disinflationary kind of uh, move being borne out in the commodity sector on the heels of the expectation of weakness? Um, you know, I, we, we've seen it now, um, I think, all year. I mean, the thing that I think the market doesn't totally appreciate yet is that, you know, inflation is so pervasive that I don't see it going away anytime soon. I, I don't see us getting to a 3% inflation rate um, next year. I think this is going to be with us for years. And why that's important is, you know, again, inflation and in energy and consumer services, um, et cetera, you know, as that ripples through, um, you're going to see markets, I think, continue to rotate. And what that means is we've had this change of leadership this year. We've seen it in commodities, yes. Um, but we're going to continue to see that, I think, for the coming years. And so what worked you know, over the past 10 years, I don't think is going to work in, in an inflationary environment. So um, you know, the Fed has been very consistent um, in terms of, you know, again, you know, saying that you know, perhaps that the pace of rate increase will go down, but the terminal rate will be higher. Um, I think we're going to be stuck with this inflation issue uh, for quite some time. So how do you deal with the fact that you're seeing OPEC plus respond, perhaps increasing their output, at least if this Wall Street Journal report is accurate, that does cite sources? Patrick, how much do you sort of double down on your overweight of energy stocks, which we've seen outperform all year, even in the face of the countermeasures that are being taken around the world? Take it in stride. You know, I mean, this, you know, this is this is a a, a long, um, you know, a long term move. And so these are always opportunities, uh, you know, to, to add exposure. Um, you know, if you're underweight right now, I, I definitely feel like, you know, the energy market and again, that rotation energy just being such a small percentage of the overall market. You know, up until you know this year, and it's still very, you know, relatively small. I think it's always an opportunity to use this volatility, um, you know, on days like this. 
Although we are seeing people say, okay, some of the areas that have gotten bid up most aren't necessarily going to look the most attractive in the next leg, simply from a valuation perspective, because we have seen such incredible valuation resets in certain areas. Is there anywhere in that space where you're starting to see something that's a little bit more attractive despite your uh, hesitation in the face of further inflation? Well, you know, look, in a, I would say in one area, um, you know, say take media, for example, right? There's been such a divergence between valuations over the past couple of years with streaming. You know, Disney obviously is at the forefront today and Iger coming back into the fold, right? But um, when, I, when I look at media assets today, you know, you're, you're going to see, um, again, the the corrections, you know, continue to come through that space. And I think there could be, you know, very good opportunities within that space. We have some exposure there. Um, again, it's sort of the the value side of the equation when you look at part of the industry. And I think the, the growth side of the equation, um, you know, at the other end of the spectrum. And of course, when you have, you know, news coming out every day and, you know, again, com competition, I would say, among technology, I think that's that's a very important thing to, to pay attention to. So given that you do see the inflation lasting a bit longer than people can stand it, and given the fact that Citigroup is talking about a five and a quarter to five and a half percent Fed funds rate, how much can you use bonds as the same kind of buffer, given that people are expecting a downturn, people do expect longer term things to reset back into some kind of normalcy that we've known? I think bonds are a good complement for any portfolio right now. I mean, there is now competition for, um, you know, the equity space, and that's in bonds. And you can get a return with, you know, I'd say at least on the short end with, you know, relatively low volatility. And I think to have some exposure in bonds, I think for sure that's, that's, you know, a part of any asset allocation, um, particularly, you know, when you're looking a few years out. And so, um, again, it's it's because we haven't had these rates, you know, for 12 years plus. And so that is something you really have to pay attention to and really pay attention to when it comes to valuation of stocks, right? The discount rate has now gone up, right? And so now we see these valuations on the long end, particularly with these high growth companies face massive corrections. Um, and I still don't think we're done when it comes to some of those, you know, previously high growth names in terms of correcting. What will be the all clear signal for you, Patrick, to go in and start being more aggressive? Um, so, you know, you have we look at signals all the time. Um, I, I think, you know, frankly, you know, I said before that inflation is not going away. That's because the labor market is so strong. Companies still have a lot of pricing power, right? So when I start to hear companies, you know, perhaps not having as much um, pricing power or, again, unemployment sort of rolling over and you start to see that move up significantly, um, then perhaps, you know, I'd see those signals where, okay, valuations have sort of reset and bottomed out and we can add more exposure. But, you know, I don't, I don't track in the index fund world, you know, I traffic in individual stocks. And so I like to, you know, do sort of the, the you know, the, the deep work um, with my research staff and, and create a portfolio that we think will, you know, protect our clients and grow over the long term and take sort of a, you know, a three to five year view. 
Patrick Frusetti, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Let's take a look at some of the sector price action this morning and head over to Bloomberg's Abigail Doolittle. Abigail, what do you see? Well, Lisa, you know, at this point, we're looking at a very small decline for the S&P 500 on extremely low volume. Most sectors are higher, but let's really hone in on energy down 3.4%. Of course, you were talking about that report out of the Wall Street Journal that Saudi Arabia is discussing uh, a possible OPEC increase. Uh, Brent crude below 75. WTI crude, Lisa, at its lowest level of the year and fact, it's now breaking down. The question is, will that be good uh, relative to inflation, or is that going to be a commodity collapse that will at some point weigh uh, on stocks? We, of course, have the China news, COVID, really weighing on the natural resources. Abigail, thank you so much. Coming up, the market-moving events that you need to be watching. That's next in our trading diary. In the markets, you are seeing a bit of softness, although easing back with the S&P now just down a tenth of a percent. Uh, we've got yields lower. So do we see oil. From New York, this is Bloomberg. Audio Jungle. If you're in the market for a truck for yourself or your business, don't waste your time. Hit up JWTrucks.com and check out our huge inventory. JW Trucks carries the best selection in the Southeast. Located on Interstate I-985, over a half mile of trucks. JW Trucks has been the no-hassle, no-games, no-gimmicks dealership since 1998. Family-owned and operated in Gainesville, Georgia. Only 35 miles from Atlanta on I-985 at exit 16. JW Trucks, Georgia's truck headquarters. Virtua Health is here. Here for you in all the moments that matter. Because they all matter. Here to be your trusted healthcare partner. From the simple to the serious, we ensure you can feel your best and live your life to the fullest. Find a Virtua physician at Virtua.org. Virtua Health. Here for good. Welcome to Growth with Portia, a weekly conversation for your personal and professional growth. Here is your host, Portia Booker. Hey, listeners, welcome to Groove Portia. I'm your host, Portia Booker. And yes, this is my real name. So question for you. Did you bring your curious mind today? If so, I don't want to keep you waiting. Let's dive in. Life is full of trials and errors, people. Believe me when I tell you this. But in the mix of the trials, there is always a silver lining if we're open to it. So question for my listeners today. How many trials are you willing to put yourself through to finally achieve the life that you want? Let that sink in. So today, I am joined by a returning guest who was laid off eight times but never threw in the towel. She's a serial entrepreneur, author, and television host who I also have the honor of calling my mentor. So welcome back to Guru Portia, Miss Sharifa Hardy. How are you doing today, Sharifa? I am excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm also honored to, to call you a friend. And I'm just so proud of you and your growth that I've watched over the years. You are truly amazing. 
Thank you, Shreve. You're going to make me cry. We ain't trying to do that today. <laughs> but you know what? It's happy tears. And I truly appreciate one, all of the conversations we've had. I've been able to really watch all the great things that you've done and take notes. You know, like they say, the best room to be in is the room of improvement. And me watching your journey of never giving up really gave me fuel and said to me, Portia, if Sharifa can do it, you can do it too. So we're going to move right along. Sharifa, I, I think love- that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful not to in, in, interrupt, but I didn't yeah. want to um, gloss over what you just said in that I truly appreciate it. But I tell people all the time, everything I have gone through is not for me. It's for somebody else. So I can empathize with them or I can be an example to them of what is possible. You know, and I heard you say several times, never giving up, never giving up, never giving up. And I honor that. I respect that. But I always say, like, there wasn't an option that came in and was like, oh, Sharifa, you can give up. This is what giving up looks like. No, you still have to get up. You still have to move on. You still have to make things happen. So it probably if I did get an option to, to not do what I've done, I might have taken it. Unfortunately, that option just never arose. And I decided I had to work because I like the roof over my head. Sharifa, look, me and you think very similar because that was my journey. You know, I could either take the pity party route like most people. Oh, this plan didn't work. So now, oh, oh, well. But as we both know, when life, our path, when we're on it, we don't have control over how the path is going to maneuver. We only have control over our actions of how we're going to take on the trials of the path. And I can honestly say that it took me a little bit of time, Sharifa, to shift my mindset from a place of why does this keep happening to me to what is this trying to teach me? And I'm grateful that I found that mindset shift because now for me, the journey is what I truly enjoy. No matter how many stones are thrown in my way to stump my toe or as you know hit our funny bone and it's not funny at all <laughs> no it's not but one of the things I always tell people I was telling a friend of mine the other day who had to move unexpectedly and she was just stressed out and I said you know what you are stressed because you feel like you're losing control. I said, but the truth is you never had control to begin with. Control is an illusion. God is in control. And if we keep that in mind, we will let go of this belief system that, that we really believe we control the outcome or control this. No, just let go and let God. And then your life, your experiences, your thought patterns will change and your life will change. Oh, come on, Shariva. I feel like I didn't came to church today because that's so true that we don't have control. And I think we've kind of adopted this expectation that we have control over every single aspect and step to go from point A to point B, when really we only have control over, again, our actions, our steps of not 
giving up of, you know, that's why when, when I have conversations with my friends, like if you want something bad enough, I tell them, how bad do you want it? You got to put in the work. You can't just say, Oh, universe, I want this nice house with the white picket fence. Well, how do you expect to get that house? If you just sit and complain all day? Yeah, I truly believe believe that. I believe that God blesses what you put your hand to. You know, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you are working on? If you want God to bless you with that beautiful house, what are you doing to go in the direction of that house? I mean, I think that's the most important thing that that we often forget, because if, if you want something and you're not doing any action, it really is just a wish, is wishful thinking. You know, and we have to get past wishful thinking because we as a people have to be able to create empires um, for our people like other people are creating for their people. And Shreve, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that literally segues into kind of what you're doing. You've created this platform called Support My Black Business to help entrepreneurs of color to stay afloat post all the COVID tanking of so many businesses. And so Sharif, for our listeners who are tuning in, can you share with us the the inspiration behind that? Because I know that we've seen so many of similar, but what was your inspiration? Yes. and And just to be clear, it's created for Black people. You know, when you when anyone says people of color, that includes a lot of different people. This platform, supportmyblackbusiness.org, is created specifically and solely for Black people. Um, during a global global pandemic, during the COVID pandemic, 441,000 Black businesses closed across the nation. That's half a million businesses that closed. They're gone. Their doors are no longer open, right? And we had the least, Black people had the least amount of businesses to begin with. So for us to lose that amount of businesses, to me, it was just horrible. I mean, for lack of a better word. And then I watched during a global pandemic how most of the government funding did not go to Black businesses at all. That's one of the reasons I became the president of the Southern California Black Chamber of Commerce for the Long Beach area. That area includes the city of Long Beach, the city of Carson, Lakewood, Linwood, Bellflower, San Pedro, Gardena, Torrance, Norwalk. Um, We, I'm here to help people specifically in those areas, but I will help anybody that I can help. So when I saw that the 441,000 businesses closed, I said, okay, what do I need to do? And I wasn't sure at that moment. And I saw a video, watched the video, and there were three sisters. And those sisters were struggling with their ice cream business. So they went and spoke with their father and their father told them to create a GoFundMe. And they, you know, black people are very proud. And they said, we don't want to create a GoFundMe. We don't want to beg. That's so embarrassing. You know, and their father in his infinite wisdom said, look, you either create a GoFundMe or you go out of business. Like, those are your options. And they went ahead and they created this GoFundMe. They raised $30,000 for their business and they are still in business today. 
And so I said to myself, if those sisters can do that for their business, what can I do for all the sisters and brothers across the country so that we can save some of those businesses? And some people were surprised. Some people were like, Sharifa, crowdfunding, why crowdfunding? Some people said, do you really expect to raise all the money? Because my goal is to raise $1.5 billion across the entire platform. That's not just one campaign, that's across all of the campaigns. But we have people on there who are raising 10,000 people like myself. We're like, look, for my business, ask Sharifa to help the amount of people I wanna help, I wanna raise $50 million. But total across the platform is $1.5 billion. And people said, Sharifa, do you expect to raise that money? I said, absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind that I'm going to raise that amount of money. Because here's the thing. Black businesses are in mission critical. Okay. We need some FEMA type relief. That's what I call it. We need FEMA relief. Now, FEMA shows up when there's a disaster when there's an emergency. And this is not the, the moment for us to say, well, you know what, let's fill out all this paperwork. Let's go through this red tape and sometime in 2024, we're gonna receive a check. No, we need these checks in 2022. We need these resources in 2022. We need this help right now. We need immediate assistance for those businesses. And so if I have to be the one who goes out and asks for help for businesses, I will. And scripture says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask but amiss. And when I ask, I don't ask amiss. I ask with expectancy in my heart. Everybody I go to, I'm like, look, I need your help. I need your support. I need you to help these Black businesses. Whatever your donation is, whatever that amount is, $5, $10, whatever it is, help these Black businesses. And Sharifa, thank you so much for one, shedding light on that, because I don't think we realize how many Black businesses were affected. You know, we see on the news all the COVID numbers rising, of course, but we don't think about all the businesses that were tanked as a result of COVID, not enough staffing, people getting sick. You know, not enough people being able to patronize because of, you know, family circumstances. I mean, 441,000. That, wow. And think about all the money that they've lost, right? All the investment that's gone, all the employees out of work, you know, people that have put 10, 15, 20 years into this investment of their business, white. White, completely white. That's what people, people don't get. And this is, a lot of this is political, right? And I am running for Senate in 2024. We can go into that later. But when I say political, sometimes people don't see what is right before their eyes. They don't understand that America is based on capitalism. Everything in America comes down to the U.S. dollar, the almighty dollar. So during global pandemic, many businesses closed, but there were other businesses that grew. Now I'll give you one that you may not have noticed, but if you pay attention right now, you'll see 
during a global pandemic, every business was forced to close down at a certain time, except for one. Walmart closed, everybody closed, except for 7-Elevens. 7-Elevens were open 24 hours. And now there's a 7-Eleven on every corner. I got a 7-Eleven if I go left, I got a 7-Eleven if I go right. There were businesses who grew during a global pandemic. There were businesses who closed their business during a global pandemic. And not all of it was, I don't point and say, oh, point my finger and say, oh, this is the government. This is the man trying to get us. No, some of the businesses, and when I say business, I mean Black business specifically that I'm referring to, had not positioned themselves for any type of assistance. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to go in and we have to set up our businesses. One of the things that I always ask is, are you operating a business or are you operating a hustle? Now, there's no judgment on either one. If you want to hustle, baby, hustle. But if you're hustling, when you go to the government and you ask for any type of assistance, you have no business. If I, I met people who have been in business for 20, 30 years and they have never filed taxes. People who've been in business did not have an EIN number. People who are in business don't have a bank account. How is it that you are in business when you haven't legitimized your business? You haven't done a DBA, LLC, corporation, anything, but yet when the world falls apart and we go ask for assistance, we are turned down because we have not created these businesses. And what I want our black businesses to do right now at this moment, any black business owner I want who is listening to the sound of my voice, I want you to stop using the word entrepreneur. I want you to get that word out of your vocabulary. And I want you to use the word business owner. I want you to position yourself as a business owner. And as a business owner, what does your business require? Have you created all the permits, the licenses? Have you gone down to your local government in your city and got your business license? During a global pandemic, I know in the city of Long Beach, I can't speak for every city, but our city has not gone back to charging fees for their business license. Any business owner, black, white, or indifferent can go down to the city and get a business license. Let's go ahead and legitimize some of these businesses because the more and more we go out and we ask for funding, those people who are given the funding are asking, okay, well, you know, where's their, their um, incorporation? Are they incorporated? You know, people talk about the, the funding that went out for the employees. How can you go in as a business owner and ask for funding for your employees when you have no employees? Or if you have employees, there's no paperwork for those employees. So before we look at anyone else and we point the finger at anyone else, we have to take a look at ourselves. Because when we go into these rooms, I always make sure that all my T's are crossed and my I's are dotted because that's the fastest thing that they will do. They will say, oh, well, you know what, Sharifa, you don't qualify because you didn't do this. You didn't qualify. Mm -mm, there's, I qualify. I'm, everything is done. So what do I qualify for? And I can go in with that force and that authority because I've done the work. Oh, Sharifa, thank you so much for really, again, shedding light on that because we don't, 
we want to, I think sometimes we take the easy way out because that's what's painted before us. And, you know, I can say even for me, you know, we don't know what we don't know, but the best room again to be in is the room of improvement. So we're going to take another quick break right here on Group Porsche. Everybody stick with us. We will be right back. Everybody, welcome back right here on Group Porsche. I'm Joe Remotely with Sharifa Hardy, and we were just having a great conversation, of course, about business and setting yourself up to be a business owner. Sharifa, I got to ask this. You mentioned that we are very proud, and I can tell you I come from a strong line of women. My great-grandmother was the type to go to get her hair done every Friday, you know, sit in the salon, all of that stuff. And when it comes to us asking for help, that pride tends to really bleed over and hinder us from really asking for what we need. And so, Sharifa, how can we, as Black business owners, work through that mindset of feeling embarrassed to ask for support? I love my people. I think Black people are just amazing. I think they're incredible. I'm so grateful just to God to be born Black, to have this hue, to have this melanin. And so there's nothing you can tell, nothing on this earth that you can tell me about a Black person that I will not see the positive side of, that I will not see the upside of, that I will not see as the, us having the ability to overcome, even pride. Because the pride that we have, again, was instilled in us as a direct result of everything that we've been through. People placed us in a situation and forced us to have to survive from the beginning. We either died on the ship, got thrown overboard, or we survived and we made it to America, right? And so during this process over the last few years since then let me just say over the years since then because everything we tried to do was destroyed we had to figure it out on our own because we knew if we asked for help or if we went to anyone else they were they didn't have the resource can i call you portia and say hey portia i'm about to start this build business right? You my sister. We sisters. We sisters in God, right? So can you send me $10 million to start my business? Hmm. No, yeah. that was a question, Portia. I'm, I'm, oh, no, that, I'm asking. Oh, do you ask it? Oh, you ask I'm me. asking Portia. Well, yeah. Portia Mother, can you send me? See, that's why we don't get help because the people don't even understand the question. What I need, Portia, is for you to send me $10 million. Can you do that? Yeah, but I need to see paperwork first. So you have enough money in the bank 
to take out $10 million and send to Sharifa Hart? That's the question that's on the table. See, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I need to like make sure that wasn't just a rhetorical question mm-hmm. or is direct. No, it was a direct. That's the point that I'm making and using you as an example. There are very few people that we can call and say, I need $5 million to, to build this manufacturing plant. I need $10 million because I want to go ahead and build this shopping plaza. I need $50 million because I want to, to buy an island so I can create this, this retreat. We don't have the resources. We don't have the abilities. When Donald Trump started his business, initially, he got his money from his father. So we can look at it and say, we have so much pride that we don't ask for help. But the thing is, if we were to ask for help, who are we going to ask for help from? The people who have the resources already know they stole it from us. They're not about to give it to us. They've never given it to us. Why would they give it to us now? If they wanted to give it to us, they'd have gave us reparations or something. Their, their reasoning for reparations is, well, we can't figure out how to get the money. We can't figure out. But they figured out how to get money to Ukraine. They figure out how to get money everywhere else. They want to figure out how to get money too. But they, so again, we don't know who to go to for help. We do GoFundMe's when there's an emergency, when there's a funeral. I, I, I need $20,000 and that in itself is a shame when you have to bury people that you need to raise tens and thousands of dollars just to bury a loved one. That's horrible. That's highway robbery. But the thing is, we do, we ask for help when, when, all else fails. But my whole thing is, we shouldn't have to ask when all else fails. We sh- we know there, I'll tell you right now, there are millions of people in the government, in the United States, who understand the plight that we are in and the plight that they have placed us. But it doesn't benefit them to give up what they have to give to us. In no form or fashion. America has already admitted guilt for slavery. How can you say you have wronged anyone and not compensate them and reimburse them? Anytime, I'll give you a prime example, OJ Simpson. They couldn't get OJ in criminal court. They got him in civil court. They will find a way to make you pay. But yet, where's the restitution for the families of the victims of slavery. Where's our restitution, right? So it's not just about us having pride and us asking for help, because I'll ask, who, who is it that I can ask? Who can I go to? Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's true. And that, you know, that's why I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that, Sharifa, because I know as a community, There's a lot of generational trauma, as we both know. There's a lot of injustice. And there's also a lot of wounds that are still open that makes it also, to me, a little challenging to just ask, to be direct. Like what you asked me, Portia, I need $10 for my business to start this manufacturing company, or I need $10 to start this 
new school, whatever it may be. Because I know that that's an area that even for me, I've been in that boat. And I just went full time <laughs> being an entrepreneur this year. And I'll, I'm thankful. I can honestly say, Sharifa, I'm thankful that what I have done, the pivoting has worked. But now to try to step into the next arena or the next area of growth for me, that's where the cap is. That wasn't a question. That was a statement. But because I am who I am, I'm not going to leave that alone. Because when someone says to me, that's where the cap is, that's, that's something that makes me ask the question, who placed this cap? Who placed this cap there, right? So that cap is, is somebody mentally or physically placed that cap because there is no cap. The sky's the limit. There's nothing that you cannot do. It's a beautiful time to be alive right now in 2022 because we are living in the information age. There's nothing that you cannot do. We're living in a technology age. There's nothing that you cannot create. There's somebody has done exactly what you want to do. Usually what happens is we aren't clear on what the next step is, what the next level is, where we want to go. And you will never, and when I say you, I'm, that's not specific to you, Portia. It, it's a general you. Unless you have a map or a plan or you know where you want to go, it's very difficult to get there. A hundred percent. I could definitely agree with that. And I know for me, that roadmap, like what we mentioned in the beginning, we only have control over our actions. And for me, when I look at my roadmap to where I want to be in the next five years, there's some places that are blank because truthfully, it's almost there's like a fear, right? There's that fear of what's to come, but also there's that excitement. There's that fear of what if I tank again or what if the sky, you know, what if I do exceed it? So that's that's the boat that I can honestly say that I've occupied for a little while. A lot of that, like you said, is is mental, uh, but it's human. And so I understand it. I do believe compassion is the highest form of love. Uh, I think the most important thing is that you get in the boat and you have a destination for the boat. So you said five years, where do you see, and this is, a, this is a rhetorical question. This is a question only you can answer to you and not necessarily even find the, the need to answer now. But in five years, where do you see that boat? Where is that boat at? You know, I truly believe the how you get to where you want to get is up to God. So the fact that there are blank areas to me says that you are going in the absolute right direction because the people that make me nervous and the people who make me wonder are the people who are like, and this happens and that happened, and that's what I'm about to go. And, that's and then I'm like, wait a minute, I have a joke and I've grown, you know, I didn't come up with, but it's been told to me all my life. How do you make God laugh? And it's telling your plans because you go, this is what I'm about to do. And God's like, oh, that's what you think you're about to do. You know what I mean? You're about to go a whole <laughs> different way. 
You know what I mean? So I believe in keeping your eye on the prize, focus on the prize, focus on the destination that you want to get to, and then allow God to lead you down this path to where you want to go. You know, that that's how I look at it. The other thing I, I don't want to gloss over, we talked about a little while ago, is that trauma. You know, and people talk about a lot of the trauma. Our trauma hasn't healed as a people. We don't have, you know, any type of mental health resources. In Long Beach, they are rolling out free um, therapy for Black people in Long Beach. They understand that we need healing. And I understand that completely. I do. I appreciate it. I'm so grateful for it. But I did a panel uh, two years ago, and it was during the George Floyd tragedy. And all of a sudden, everybody in the world wanted to talk. They wanted to have conversations. And I was invited on so many different panels and been on panels since then. But this one stood out because one of the questions uh, that they asked me was, and people love to do this, but see, I'm the wrong person. They are like, how do we heal? How do we heal? How do we get to the point of everyone being able to get along? And, and I'm like, you know what? We have to heal. We have to heal as a people. We have to heal as a nation. But here's the thing. That's just like me going to your house portion. I like to use you as an example because you're a friend and I love you and because you simply here. But that's just like me going to your, your house, Portia, and destroying your entire family, taking everything that you own, the house, the cars, the land, everything, torturing everybody that was there, doing it for generations, taking every dime that you have, planning stuff on the land that you used to own, taking all the money and the resources. Every time you tried to open your mouth to even object, I throw you in jail, then turn around and come back to your house, Portia, and say, Portia, you know what? I think we should just let the past go. I think we should. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, that's their definition of healing. You know, everybody wants to heal. Everybody wants to come together. But you have to account for the wrong that you've done. You've wronged an entire people. And I'm not willing to just let that go. I'm not. We can heal. We can have therapy. But I'm not letting it go. I'm not letting it go. And I'm with you, Sharifa. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting to me how our society functions on now mental health is a crisis. Mental health, we have to all go to therapy. We have to all work through our traumas. But as we both know, and as we both said, that's years of generational. And it also doesn't work to the fact that, oh, we can all be friends now. It's 2022. All those people are dead. No, 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 no. No, it doesn't work that way. No, healing takes a, a collective of everybody being on the same page and the intention, right? Because as we both know, intention is key. You, we can all say, I'm sorry, but if our intention is only just to get the public approval and not to truly be genuine to ourselves, 
what's the point? But I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> but, but healing, here's the thing in simple English, healing requires a check, period. Yeah. No, yeah. and I don't care how good you feel. I'm not a good, feel good kind of, where is my check? Where's my money? Where's my funds? Because here's the thing. If you take a black person who's broke, and I'm not saying everybody's broke, but I'm saying if you're broke, if you're stressed out, because that's what they've done to millions of black people across the country, right? They're, they're either, many people do not have the same resources. So they're stressed, they're stressed. So now I'm trying to either hold on to this job or maybe I'm unemployed, right? So I'm gonna take this person who is stressed and say to them, I'm gonna give you therapy so you can heal your trauma. No, I need you to heal the trauma in my bank account, right? That will give me some relief because now I'm not stressed out trying to figure out how I can pay for this and how I can get, get pay for that when you have deliberately and intentionally stole from me. So you want me to heal, write the check and, and, and then I can heal. Because you know what I could do? I could go and I could enjoy my life and I could relax without some of these stressors that are on my shoulders and all this weight. Because let me tell you something, if I'm working 50 hours a week plus my commute, now I got to take off work to go to therapy. Who going to pay me for that time? Who going to account for that time, right? I live in Long Beach, California, one of the most expensive places in California to live, right? Now, I don't say that it to, to talk about expenses, but I'm talking about the fact that it's so expensive that I have to be able to work so much to be able to cover these expenses. So now can I just take off and go sit down and tell people about my traumas and my problems that's been coming down from generations? No, I can't. So again, I'm running for Senate. And so this is the truth, the world, according to Sharifa Hardy. But in my world, somebody somewhere is going to cut a check. Okay. That's where I'm at. Cut the check. And on that note, we're going to take another quick break right here on Group Porsche. Everybody stick with us. We will be right back. Everybody, welcome back right here on Group Porsche. I'm Dora Motley with Sharifa Hardy. And we are continuing our conversation, of course, around being a business owner, healing, and also working through trauma. And Sharifa, if our listeners, if one of them wanted to connect with you and learn more about you, is there a website or social media handle you can share with us today? Yes, but I tell your listeners, got to be careful before you connect with Sharifa, because I, you know, I give you the truth, the world according to Sharifa Hardy, and everybody is not always ready to handle my truth. 
But if you are, you can follow me on Instagram or find me on Facebook at Sharifa Hardy. You can go to my website at AskSharifa.com. Excellent. So if you guys are interested, you can connect with Sharifa for any and all things. Sharifa, during our last conversation that we had, you were running for the Long Beach City Council candidate in 2020. That's how long it's been. Wow, since we've done an interview. Whew. Where did time go? But that's from another day. And Sharif, I got to ask this. What did you learn from that experience where you're taking now your talents to run for the primary in 2024? I learned a valuable lesson that changed my life. You ever get some information and knowledge and you're like, ooh, they shouldn't have told me this. They shouldn't have told your girl this. Because that's, that, that's what happened. When I was running for city council, I realized that people had to hear me. They had to hear my voice. They had to hear what I had to say. Because most companies, most organizations, they want to speak with the candidates. And those companies and those organizations have to, at the very least, give the appearance of not being biased, right? So they can't just speak to candidate A or speak to candidate B because they like candidate B. Even though they're rooting for them, they, they have to get, say that they spoke to everyone. So I realized that they had to hear me. And so I, I said whatever I felt. I said whatever I wanted to say. And I, was, I said something at one forum because there was an Asian lady who was very rude to me, very, very rude and disrespectful to me. And a lot of times people are allowed to be disrespectful to Black people in a way they wouldn't allow to any other race. And after that, a couple of days later, I was speaking to another city council candidate and she was like, Sharifa, I really like what you had to say. And I said, did you really? I said, because I took a lot of flack for some of the things I had to say. They literally called me an angry Black woman during that campaign. And mm. so when I told the lady that I caught a lot of flack, she said, yeah, but you make for great television. She said, I have my mom watch it. I have my boyfriend watch it. And this is a Hispanic lady speaking to me, not a Black lady. And, I, and that really struck me. I was like, wow, I'm made for great television. And so I really just started saying whatever I wanted to say. You know, I didn't feel the need to have to sugarcoat anything or to make people feel comfortable because I know I'm not trying to make them feel uncomfortable. So if they are uncomfortable with anything that I had to say, that's their problem. And that's how I looked at it. And so I was like, I have to do this again. I have to run again. And I was going to run for president or governor. And I was like, shrink wait a minute. Let's tone it down a little bit. Let's, you know what I mean? And so I said, okay, but I still want to help my community. And so I, I um, threw in my hat in the ring to run for Senate. That website is sharifahardyforsenate.com. So if anyone knows anyone who's in the Long Beach, California area, um, the district map is on sharifahardyforsenate.com. There's a petition I would love for everybody to take a look at and sign. Help your girl out. Help a sister out because change is going to come. I'm telling you, 2024. And congrats to you, Sharifa, for putting your hat back into the arena. I'm excited for you to see this journey. You know you got my vote. You know I don't think it's okay. I That's the problem. That's the problem. 
I know people all over the world that you got to be in a, in the district. You have to be a registered voter in the, in the district. So what I need you to do, Portia, I need you to move here 2022. So by the time we get to 2024, you'll be established. You'll be a resident. We can use all your votes. I need you to change your life. Come here and help us out. You know, spoiler alert, that might be a thing, Sharifa. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about that. Sharifa, you know, I love what you mentioned about the angry Black woman, because I can't tell you how many times I've been put under that arena and umbrella. And Sharifa, how do you navigate that now? What tips can you leave for other Black women who have been called that to use that as their stepping stone instead of as a way to imprison them from hindering their growth? Um, not everyone likes the fact that I have that I say that. So what happened once they called me an angry Black woman, my city council commercial, I even said in that commercial, still on YouTube today, I said some people consider me an angry Black woman. But I believe that more people should be angry about homelessness. I'm more, I believe more people should be angry about unemployment. I believe more people should be angry about the state of America, the state of a society. One of my favorite quotes is Edmund Burke, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Um, Mm. First Lady Michelle Obama, who will always be the first lady, after when she was doing her book tour, she said that when she travels around America, what the one thing she's noticed is that most people are good. Most people are good. Black, white, Hispanic, whatever. Doesn't matter, right? You know, most people are good. We have so many good people out there. But what happens is we usually sit silent. We do nothing, right? And so when I stand up, when I say something, people are like, oh my God, she's angry. It's not necessarily that I'm angry, is that I'm speaking my voice. And because there's strength in my voice, other people mistake my passion for anger. But I always tell people, I look at it like a child, right? And I've raised two children. My children are 25 and 28. And my children know mom has asked them to clean up their room. If I come home and that room is not going to clean, is not clean, they're going to have to deal with angry mom. That's it. But if they do what I've asked them to do, there are no problems. There are no issues. And that's what I deal with every day as the president of the Black Chamber of Commerce here in Long Beach. I rile feathers all the time, but you know what? A lot of times they show me a lot of disrespect, right? They uh, People in the city of Long Beach, I'm talking about government organizations have scheduled Zooms to discuss the black race or racial issues and then no call, no show on, on those Zooms. So then when I show up, it's like, okay, but now she's angry. No, you shouldn't, you should have came to the Zoom. You should have had a conversation. You should have spoke with me. So I'm not afraid, nor do I care about anybody's perception of my anger. Because I tell people all the time, I'm like the good Lord. There's always a warning before destruction. I don't just show up going off on people. There's a reason. And if I have to show up, 
And if the mood that I'm in at that moment just happens to be angry, I guarantee you it is not for no reason. I didn't just wake up angry for no reason. Oh, 100%, Sharifa. And I'm there with you. I'm very similar when I get really passionate about certain things. It comes across in my voice. I mean, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to speak to a very intimate group of young women entrepreneurs about podcasting. And in the very beginning, I shared my story, my story of how I had to remove myself from the television world because the psychiatrist diagnosed me with bipolar disorder and, oh, your brain's broken, the whole rigmarole, you know, gave me the whole receipt. And, and I said, you know, little did I know that breakdown I had was my breakthrough to my true calling today. And so, yeah, I was not happy with that person for putting that label on me. But thank you for doing it, because now I'm doing 10 times better. I can say that I've been prescription medication free for three years. And a lot of congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you, my sister. But I'm proud of you for my sister, my family. There are different people within my family who have had such labels on them. I'm proud of you for acknowledging, verbalizing the fact that you can go without mental illness, without medication. Yes, it is definitely possible. I can say for my journey, Sharifa, it took some time, trial and error, like what I mentioned in the beginning. It took a little bit of adjusting, trying to figure out, okay, what does life look like without taking this regimen every morning or every night? Everybody's cocktail's a little different. I know for me, mine was twice a day, in the morning time and at night before bed. And I said, well, what? let me just try something. I'm, I'm open to try. And the first thing that one of my doctors did for me was tell me to start doing meditation in the morning. Instead of reaching for that, do some meditation, do a grounding meditation on YouTube or guided, whatever, and to change your mindset where you're not dependent upon grabbing, you know, kind of like when people are trying to stop smoking cigarettes. You're not dependent upon grabbing it. You're changing your mindset to channel your energy into something else. So I started with that. Then it started with my eating habits changing, my diet. So literally it was gradual over time. But then I noticed the difference. I noticed literally, and I still share the story to this day, when I was finally able to literally embrace the sun's warmth for what it was, I knew then that I was on the right path because for the longest time, I was like a zombie taking those meds. I was completely numb to the world. And now I enjoy life, the, both the bitter, the sweet, the unfavorable and the favorable. I love it. I don't feel as though yeah. I'm a, go ahead. No, I'm saying, but that I, I'm listening to you. But see, I'm not even looking at you. I'm just listening to your frequency and the frequency that you are vibrating on and the words that are coming out of your mouth. You are using words like you were a zombie. But what I'm trying to get you to understand, Portia, is that the intent is to make us all into zombies because zombies don't 
stand up against the, the establishment. They just go about their life. They take their pills. There's no emotion. And let's go back to anger. A lot of people have, it, it see, it's such a negative connotation, but anger is a natural human emotion like any other emotion. You have to be able to express yourself and feel what you feel and acknowledge what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. And see, which, what a lot of people don't understand is the, the people who are afraid of the angry black man and the angry black woman already know what they've done. They know what they've done more than you know what they've done. You think they stole $5 million and they know they, they stole $50 million. Now, somebody stole from you, destroyed your family for generations and caused so much pain and continue. You don't think they're afraid of us? They're afraid of us doing to them what they've done to us? So they're afraid of that anger. They're afraid because they know if we show up angry, it, it, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be Oh, they know it's going to be Destruction Dynamo 2.0. It's going to be the 4th of July times 90. <laughs> but that's right, but what like I say, I come in peace. I come in peace. You know what I mean? I was raised Muslim. That's why we always say, assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you. I always come in peace, right? But you still have to do the right thing. You have to do the right thing by people. There's no reason in the world why the people should be in the state that they are. There's no reason in the world why you have so much. Even right now, you go, our freeway is the 710 freeway. People are sleeping in tents, tents under the freeway. We got people who are homeless, just sleeping on the streets, right? These are the sins of the blood that drips from America and America knows it. And at some point in time, they are going to have to do something about it because you can't continue to have zillionaires and trillionaires and billionaires and people who are homeless. You have to be able to create a world where everyone wins. 100%, 100%. We're going to take another quick break right here on Group Porsche. Everybody stick with us. We will be right back. everybody welcome back right here on group portia well sharifa i thank you so much again for coming back on the show and sharing so much wisdom and food for thought with our listeners today because i know that we got to get people on the right track and sometimes it just starts with a little pulling of the coat is what my mom used to say and so sharifa i gotta ask this you know we touched on mental health some but I'm always curious as an as a business owner, you know, sometimes it's hard to find that balance, right? Because we're so passionate, both me and you are passionate about what we do and 
helping others. And so Sharifa, how do you find that balance between prioritizing your mental well-being and also showing up best for the people you serve? Uh, the simple, the simplest, simplest, simplest way is what I tell people all the time and they don't believe me. And it's boundaries. If, if you're out of balance, you haven't set balance. I mean, boundaries. I tell people all the time, everything in your life is a choice. Everything and everyone in your life is a choice. It's a choice that you are making. So if you are out of balance with your business, you have not set boundaries. And by boundaries, I mean, what are your business hours? Again, we're not entrepreneurs. We live through this energy of money don't sleep. You know, when you don't sleep and you work 24 hours, seven days a week, and all you do is work, you are operating out of fear. And I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. You are operating out of fear. You believe that if you, you know, stop doing business at 6 p.m., you're going to miss out on something or you're going to lose some money. No, you have to have a work-life balance. If you do not have a work-life balance, you are choosing not to have a work-life balance. My business hours, I tell people all the time, are 9 a.m., to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Now, I may work outside of my business hours, but I reserve the right not to. I reserve the right not to take any call, any meeting, any appointment, because if not, how will I enjoy my life? You know, again, my kids are 25 and 28. I'm looking forward to the day where I can be a grandmother and I can spend my time with my little grandkids and run around at the park. And what I'm not going to be doing at the park with the grandkids is answering emails, right? Because that's the time that I have established and set aside for my life. So if you're working all the time, then guess what? you are not going to be able to enjoy your life. And so many people tell the lie to themselves and excuse me for if I offend anyone, but they go, oh, well, I'm just doing this right now until I get up on my feet. And then 20 years later, they're still working 24 hours a day until they get up on their feet. What you want to do is set those boundaries now, set your business hours, set your guidelines, set whatever it is that you need to be able to put your business in this particular um, hours and then go on with your life. Because if not, you will never be able to enjoy your life. And if you cannot, as a business owner, afford to operate within those business hours, then you need other sources of income. Successful people have... Um, multiple streams of income. They make money in a lot of different ways. People who are entrepreneurs, what they tend to do, and I, and I built my first website in 1994. So I've been doing this for nearly 30 years. I'm not, you know, this is not my first rodeo. This is not the first time I've had this conversation with someone. What people do when they want to be in business or be entrepreneurs is they usually have enough money in the bank to operate their business for about 30 days, 30 days. Harvard School of Law says the rule of thumb that you should have enough money in the bank for five years, whether or not you make a dime. Because, but see what most people do is they try to operate their business off of their profits. 
You can't start a business operating off of your profits. You have to have enough money in the bank. So if you go to the SBA, the SBA won't say five years, they'll say two years. But again, most people have enough money in the bank for 30 days. That's why they're working 24 hours. So I would advise those people to go get a day job, go take something from their retirement, go get enough money so that you have the time to set up your business and to create your business that allows you to have a life. If you don't have a life, one of the things that will happen is you will suffer from burnout. And when people start to suffer from burnout, what happens is they, they don't even know that they're burning out. They start feeling tired. They start feeling irritated. They start going through all these different emotions and they don't understand why, but they haven't created a time in their, in their life for them to be able to relax. See, even the, the genius, and I was going to say this when you were talking about your mental health, whoever you are so blessed more than you know, Portia, that you found someone who can introduce you to meditation, right? Because that meditation changed your life. And there was so much that happened in that meditation that, you know, some people may miss. It's not just the act of meditation, it's the act of consciously giving your mind something to do and to slow your mind down and slow your body down so you walk out into your day with that energy. I try to meditate every day. When I forget to meditate, I notice it in my energy. I notice it in how I'm operating. I'm like, well, I need to just breathe because that's it, all it is. It's the breath, the air, the breath of God moving through you and you're allowing it to come into you. So I would say to anyone who isn't setting any type of boundaries, who wants to be a business owner, find other ways to create income until you're able to live off of just your business. That would be my primary advice. Oh, Sharifa. See, I knew this conversation was worth the wait because not only did we go to church today, we got a whole lecture on how to set ourselves up for success to be a business owner that thrives instead of tanks. Sharifa, we're about to be wrapping up here soon. We got about one minute. If you can leave our listeners with words of inspiration to go into 2023 with, what words of inspiration can you leave with them today? My favorite thing that I love to say is what I, I believe and what I live by. And that is... I believe that God says to all of us, it is my pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is my pleasure to give you the kingdom, right? So what that means is whatever your heart's desire is, God gave you that desire for a reason. And I believe it would be an unfair God to give you a desire of the heart that could not be obtained. It could not be achieved. And that's not the God I serve. So I believe that if God has given you a desire in your heart, whether that's a business or whatever it is, that there is a way for you to create it. There is a way for you to achieve it. You just have to walk and take steps to, to, to get it. Because again, like I say, God blesses what you put your hand to. So if you have the desire of the heart, and you, you're willing to do the work, put your hand to it, got to make it happen. 
Amen. That's all I can say is amen, because she's so right about that. You know, when you put something into the universe, God, source, you ask, because what can you do that God can't? My great grandmother used to say that all the time and just trust and believe. Well, everybody, that was Sharifa Hardy that you heard from. And that concludes another episode of Group Porsche, everybody. Thanks for listening and have a good evening. market for a truck for yourself or your business don't waste your time hit up jwtrucks.com and check out our huge inventory jw trucks carries the best selection in the southeast located on interstate i-985 over a half mile of trucks jw trucks has been the no hassle no games no gimmicks dealership since 1998 family owned and operated in gainesville georgia only 35 miles from atlanta on i-985 at exit 16 jw trucks Georgia's Truck Headquarters. Hey, Becky, what about this beat for your next song? Mm, it's cool, but I'm into faster stuff lately, like Xfinity that gives me beyond gig speeds. Got it. What about this, then? Mm, it sounds powerful, just like Xfinity. Because its supersonic Wi-Fi has three times the bandwidth, you can connect hundreds of devices at once. <laughs> That's what I call power. Unbeatable internet from Xfinity made to do anything so you can do anything. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary. Not guaranteed. Requires compatible Xfinity Gateway. Limited quantities available. You're invited to explore Cypress Swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. If you're in the market for a truck for yourself or your business, don't waste your time. Hit up jwtrucks.com and check out our huge inventory. JW Trucks carries the best selection in the Southeast. Located on Interstate I-985, over a half mile of trucks. JW Trucks has been the no-hassle, no-games, no-gimmicks dealership since 1998. Family-owned and operated in Gainesville, Georgia. Only 35 miles from Atlanta on I-985 at Exit 16. JW Trucks, Georgia's truck headquarters.
Welcome to SDH's wrap-up on everything that happened internationally in soccer on your Monday. We had three matches that were on the board in the World Cup, and what we will do is we will take you through the numbers, the stats, and we'll hear from uh, some of the particulars and some of the, the principles from the uh, three particular matches that happened. We'll get you ready for your action on the 22nd. It was early on in the morning. It was England and Iran. England entered the match at a minus 263. Your draws a plus 365. Iran was at a plus 919. And it was all one-way traffic. Moments like this for England, especially in the first 45, courtesy of our friends at Telemundo Sports. anteriormente la salida de Kane como cuando sale ahora encuentra más espacio y ahí donde Kane se siente cómodo, hace salir a los defensores a una zona donde no se van a sentir cómodos y ahí donde aparecen Saka los jugadores Bellingham puede aparecer oh, también Sterling. Sterling como en este caso So England gets the win 6-2 in dynamic fashion. And so here's some post-match comments from Gareth Southgate, courtesy of our friends at Sky Sports News. And then Jeff Shreves from Fox Sports caught up with him as well. Really pleased with our attacking play. We know that Iran usually are very difficult to score goals against. So it's a credit to our players, the way they... Their movement, the quality of their passing, the quality of our finishing. Um, I didn't like the end of the game. Um, to concede two goals the way we did isn't the level that we need. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to be better than we were today in certain aspects of our game against the USA because they're going to be coming for us full throttle and we're going to have to reset. I, I don't like games that drift as this one did and it was difficult because there was so much added time in both halves so I understand the, f the focus drifting a little but that won't be enough for us to, to progress in the tournament and um, so we've still got a lot to do to qualify. Coaches are always seeking perfection, but Gareth Southgate, could that have gone much better for you? Well, it 6-0, yes, um, because I, I really liked so much of what we did and we looked a real threat, but the end of the game, because of the amount of time added on, because of the um, breakup in the flow of it, uh, to concede as we did is really annoying. Um, 
and we're going to have to completely shift the mindset. You know, that, that game petered out. We're going to have the game of all games against the States and they're going to be out of the traps pressing us hard. Um, so we're going to have to reset after this. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, I'm delighted to, to win the game in, in the manner that we did as well. Match number two on the day, the Netherlands over Senegal by the score of 2-0 at a minus 152. Your draw was a plus 267. Senegal came in at a plus 202. Then USA and Wales. Everyone was keeping an eye on that one. Here are your two moments of the match. Once again, Andres Cantor on the call, courtesy of our friends at Telemundo Sports. After the match, Jenny Taft from Fox caught up with U.S. Men's National Team head coach Greg Berhalter. All right, Greg, I want to ask you about the overall performance today. It felt like in the first half you talked about wanting to keep that intensity up. In the second, it felt like it was a little bit different. How would you evaluate the night and ending in a tie? I, I, think, I think we lost a little bit of power, but um, in, the same, in the same sense, Wales stepped up their pressure, and we had some good counterattacking opportunities, but I thought the guys dealt with it well. Um, you know, we kept going to the end. It was a hard-fought game. 
we left everything out there. Is there anything you'd look to address specifically with the team? As we know, it's a big challenge coming up against England Friday. Well, what I'd say is Wales went very direct in the second half. And they got a big team, and, and they made it difficult. So I think we managed a lot of our pressure well, but when they hit long balls um, and get and play for second balls, it becomes difficult. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. It was a really important point for us. And, and I thought, you know, with the last 10 minutes, I thought if anybody was going to go on to get the winner, it was, it was us as well. We'll continue here with the gentleman in first row, please. Um, I, I just wonder if you could speak, Paul Tenorio from The Athletic, I wonder if you could speak to, to Gareth Savvy, his ability to kind of get his body in front uh, to draw that penalty and, and um, his abilities still are to, to change games in, in those little moments that, that make all the difference. Yeah, well, we've sort of evolved Gareth's position then, put it that way. He's not, he can still play out wide, of course he can, but I like to give him the freedom to come inside and and, uh, and and play off a front man. Um, he's very good at finding those spaces. He's intelligent. He's um, he's got a wise head, so he puts himself in those positions in in the box to be able to get us penalties. And uh, and defenders commit to making tackles, and if they don't get the timing right in the box, inevitably it's a penalty. So I think he used all his uh, his wisdom there. So that sets up really. Everybody up against Iran in Group B. England put six on the board. Goal difference at a plus four. USA and Wales had come through with a point apiece. And so everyone is going to be looking at match day three and what it looks like. What is Team USA going to have to do to go up against Iran? Because we know that Black Friday is going to be a tough contest against England. And we will uh, get into all of those particulars as we get closer to that match. Let's take a peek at some of the stats and get you through the, the matches on the day. Taking a peek at England's numbers, once again, courtesy of our friends at SofaScore. Jordan Pickford finished with a 6.2. Uh, Kieran Trippier and, uh, at a 7.3. John Stones at a 6.6. .6. Harry Maguire at a 7.5. We will keep an eye out on his injury as he was substituted after a clash of heads, and he went straight down the tunnel, so we'll keep an eye on that. Luke Shaw finished up at a 6.9. Jude Bellingham with a goal at an 8.2. Bukayo Saka with a brace at an 8.5. Declan Rice at a 7. Raheem Sterling with a goal had a 7.4. Mason Mount a 7.3. Harry Kane, who wore uh, the captain's armband that said no discrimination on it, courtesy of FIFA, had a 7.9 on the day. Uh, Mehdi Taremi had an 8 for Iran. Everyone on the roster that started had 5s and 6s on the day defensively. Looking at your statistics uh, on the board, uh, England, no surprise, had 78% of the possession Total shots were 13-8, shots on target 7-3, shots off target. Iran led that one 4-2, block shots 4-1 in favor of England. No corners on the day for Iran as England had 8, 14 fouls on the day for Iran, only 9 for Great Britain for, uh, for, uh, for England. Uh, yellow cards 2 for Iran, none for 
uh, England. Big chances were 3-2 in favor of uh, England. And counterattacks, counterattack shots, both went to Iran in that case. One big chance missed. Ten shots inside the box for England compared to six for Iran. Three outside the box, one save each for uh, each keeper on the day. Almost 800 passes on the day for England, clipping uh, 90% success rate, 716 out of 797, 63% on 45 long balls on the day, uh, only 12 of 44 for Iran. Crosses 6 and 0 were the numbers of success. 6 for England at 29%, 0 for 8 in crosses. Dribbling was 65% to 14. Duels won 48 of the 80 went to England, so roughly 63-37 on the duels. Aerials won across the board, 10-10, 13 tackles to 12. 16 interceptions for Iran, 23 clearances on the day. Not a whole lot of work defensively needed for uh, England, four clearances and seven interceptions. Now to the action in Group A. Senegal and the Netherlands got that group kicked off. And it was uh, lineup numbers once again. Edward Mendy for Senegal had a 5.7, a rough day for Edward Mendy, uh, getting such a low number. One save, one punch, uh, one successful run out, two high claims, one error leading to a goal. 37 touches on the day, 82% in his passing, 5 of 10 on his long balls. He had two clearances. He won two out of three in the air. So a rough day from uh, SofaScore for Edward Mendy. Numbers across the board, pretty much sixes and sevens when it came to uh, Senegal. For the Netherlands, uh, Janssen had a seven. Steven Bergwijn a 6.8. Cody Gakpo, definitely one of the players to keep an eye on on the tournament, a 7.8. Daly Blind had north of a seven. Frankie De Jong had a 7.7. Steven Berghaus had a 6.5. Denzel Dumfries had a 6.1. Matisse Delict with his yellow card. We'll have to keep an eye on that in the next match because, once again, remember, only two yellows mean that you serve a suspension, and that would mean uh, match day three if that was to happen. Virgil van Dijk, who wore the captain's armband, had a 7, as did Nathan Ake. Andres Nopert, 6 feet 8 inches tall in net, getting the start for the Netherlands. He had an 8 on the day. Statistics for uh, the match in and of itself, it was 47% possession for Senegal, 53% for the Netherlands. Senegal had 15 shots compared to 10, led in all the shooting categories. 4-3 shots on target, 7-4 off target, 4 blocks to 3. 7 corners for uh for Denmark compared to six, two offside for the visitors in Senegal, also two yellow cards, 13 fouls apiece for each side. Two big chances went the Netherlands' way. Shots inside the box, eight shots outside the box, seven, so evenly distributed for Senegal on the day, four saves on the day for the Netherlands. Passes, 81% for the success rate for the Netherlands, 355 of 436, 80% for the uh, Senegalese. 26 long balls compared to 16, 8 crosses compared to 7. Both of those won by Senegal. 
uh, dribbles each four successful, uh, duels one slightly for uh, Senegal, 53% to 47. Aerials one, it was basically 51, 49, 22 of 42 there in the aerials. 14 tackles, 10 interceptions, 32 clearances for the Senegalese up against uh, the Netherlands. Netherlands had 10 tackles, 6 picks, and only 14 clearances on the day. So those are your numbers in that match. Let's go to the third one of the day, USA and Wales. And obviously we will be looking at analyzing this one backward, forward, and upside down on SDH on Tuesday morning. Your lineups, Matt Turner had a 6.8 in net, Serginho Desta yellow, Tim Ream a yellow, Weston McKinney a yellow. Have to keep an eye on that, as did Gareth Bale get a yellow as well. So Desta 6.7, Walker Zimmerman a 6.5, Tim Rima 7.2, Anthony Robinson a 6.7. Tyler Adams had a fantastic day at a 7.4, Weston McKinney a 6.4, Eunice Musa a 6.5 before he was substituted, Timothy Weah a 7.3, Josh Sargent before he was substituted a 6.3, Christian Pulisic, who got beat up out there, had a 7.2. Stats on the day. Uh, Tyler Adams, once again, a tremendous day for the U.S. Ball possession, 59-41 in favor of the United States. Total shot, 7-6 to Wales, 3-1 shots on target. So the U.S. had four off target with one block each. U.S. had five corners to three. Each team called offside one time. 15-10 in fouls for the in favor of the United States, if you're wanting to call that in favor. But you also had the four yellow cards to the United States, two in the first 20 minutes. Once again, keeping an eye on that as well. Everything in the big chances and counterattacks category was a Welsh advantage. 3-2 in big chances, 2-1 missed. One shot hit the woodwork for the United States. Counterattacks, 1-0. Counterattack shots, 1-0. Shots inside the box, 5-4. Each team had two shots outside the box. Two saves for Matt Turner. One save for uh, for Wayne Hennessy. Passes on the day, the U.S. had about 160 more passes, completing at an 87% clip. Wales completed at a 76% efficiency rate. Long balls, 39 for Wales compared to 24 for the U.S. Crosses, 5-4 to Wales. And uh, dribbles and possession loss, believe it or not, 50-50 in possessions lost. Dribbles, uh, three each. The Welsh won 47 of the 88 duels, yet the U.S. won 15 of the 27 in the air. Tackles, picks, and and clearances all on the Welsh side. 18 tackles to 14, 8 to 6 in interceptions, 29 clearances on the day for Wales compared to 18 for the United States. So that sets us up for action tomorrow. And it is going to be four matches, very, very bright and early, five o'clock in the morning in the east on the East Coast, which means one o'clock in the afternoon in Qatar. Argentina and Saudi Arabia, Argentina, a big favorite at a minus six sixty seven. Eight o'clock Eastern, Denmark and Tunisia, Denmark favorite at a minus one sixty seven. Mexico and Poland at eleven Eastern time. Mexico is a plus 161. Poland and the draw, basically the same at a plus 205. 
France and Australia, your 2 o'clock match, France at a minus 370, Australia north of plus 1,100 on the board. So that's your quick wrap of everything that happened uh, in the host nation for the international tournament on your Monday. We'll be back at it again tomorrow let you know what else is going on, what happened with the matches on the 22nd. Thanks for hanging out with us in the morning on SDH and we'll keep in on, and listening to everything else that's going on here on the network. For everybody here, I'm just John. Play it safe, everybody. Enjoy the game. If you're in the market for a truck for yourself or your business, don't waste your time. Hit up JWTrucks.com and check out our huge inventory. JW Trucks carries the best selection in the southeast. Located on Interstate I-985, over a half mile of trucks. JW Trucks has been the no-hassle, no-games, no-gimmicks dealership since 1998. Family-owned and operated in Gainesville, Georgia. Only 35 miles from Atlanta on I-985 at exit 16. JW Trucks, Georgia's truck headquarters. Trying to read off a small flat panel in a large meeting room can be frustrating. It's time to Epsonize. With Epson projectors, you can have the latest in 3LCD presentation technology. Ultra bright, vivid, and bigger than 470-inch flat panels. This is how you do a meeting. Check out Epson's latest business projectors at Amazon, Micro Center, and at Epson.com. Audio Jungle. It is the Riot Podcast. We're doing this on Monday, November 21st. Nikki is still gone. Isaiah is still here. Nikki returns one week from today after Thanksgiving is all over and behind us. Isaiah, how was your weekend? You know, I had a good weekend. Watched a lot of football, relaxed a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, didn't do anything too crazy. Yesterday, hung out for the majority of the day, just watching mm-hmm. the NFL. Saturday, same deal with college football. And now this is a, a large week for me as I prep for the OSU-Michigan game this upcoming Saturday. Humongous weekend. It is uh, an interesting thing to hear you talk about preparing for the game like there's something you have to do for oh, it. Oh, I'm prepping. I'll probably start prepping for Saturday uh-huh. on like tomorrow. Because Saturday's doomsday. It's when Ohio State's no, going to lose. No, no. So you're doomsday prepping. I've have, there's people that are coming to my house uh-huh. from out of town. They're coming for the Ohio State game. I'm probably going to have a, a l- large amount of people in my house. So I got to start getting that ready as well as all the festivities for Saturday. I've got to th- have things prepared since I'm hosting. Um, and so it's going to be it's gonna be a lot of work. Yeah. Well, you... Also, you know what else I'm getting ready for this What's week? That? We're getting the hot tub back in order. Oh. Bringing gonna... the hot tub back for the OSU-Michigan game. You got to have it. Uh, you got to have that steaming for you. Yeah, yeah for so for sure. after the, when we get the win – then we can come back uh-huh. and just hop. We're going to do a hot tub hop in when it's like freezing cold outside. It's going to be awesome. I can't all right. wait. Well, I hope you get that all in ship shape. 
Uh, let's talk about the show today. Tell me what's in it. So we kicked <laughs> off the show early on by talking some farm animal talk, a little bit of a an obscure finding uh, with some sheep that were just doing some weird stuff. Yeah. No really other way to describe it. We'll talk about it in a bit here. But uh, and then I asked Hudson if he had to pick a farm animal to own. Which one would he own? Yeah, now I can't reveal my answer here, but it is. I feel that it's an obvious one. It's the go-to answer. It is. For me, I thought it was an acceptable answer, as I have dealt with this animal in the past. Yeah. Great so animal. We're not going to reveal I'm it. for it. You got to, that's early on in the podcast, so you hear that. Then we talked a little bit later on about how some of you may be getting snow globed. <laughs> yeah. And I said, and uh, I'll come back to this, that I think when we talk about dating trends, and this happens in other things too now, there's a there's a tendency to give everything like a trendy name mm-hmm. so that it becomes, it's not just, here's some problem with your relationship, it becomes, are you getting snow globed? Yeah. And it makes it more newsy. Kind of like, like when they, you know what it's, it's from? What's they kicked that? it all off with the catfishing. That's right. You're getting catfish. A catchy term that makes it sound different. You know, and everybody make, knows what I'm talking about That's a little mystery. Years ago, we didn't know what that was. Right. Now we and all so know. so the news was like, are you getting catfish? And you'd be like, oh, I don't know. I need to find out. Am I getting catfish? But Maybe I am. If they just what said, is this catfish? are you getting duped by somebody online who's not actually who they say they are? If they said that up front. A lot less mystery, a lot less clicks, a lot less fun uh, for everyone. Uh, so anyways, with all the, with those terms, though, I think they're being too positive with the terms, and they're making it sound like it's a good thing. And yeah, I think if you're getting snow globe, then we need to find more negative terms. Like, what could you use? What's the term we could use for snow globe that's, like, more negative? Something that we could come up with maybe for the Christmassy time. Yeah. It would be a little bit more negative. Uh huh. Are you getting cold? What's something negative about the holidays? About Christmas? Are I don't you getting, know. What do you call those, like the piles of snow that after the, you know, most the of drifts? the drifts? The snow drifts. Are you drift? getting drifted? Are you getting drifted? No. What is it when, when the, uh, like there has to be a, a term for it when the snow plow comes through and it, it cleans out the parking lot? And then there's like a big mountain of snow that's all dirty. It's called a drift. That's what it, I thought. A drift isn't just when the snow blows. Somewhere. It kind of well, it kind of drifts off the road, and there's drifts on the side of the road. But I guess the snowplow kind of creates those. They're man-made. Oh, drifts. how about this? Salted. Are you getting salted? Yeah, that's a good one too. Are you getting brined? Are you getting snowflaked? Yeah, I don't know. I just think. Uh, we would take more time with it. We'd have to do like a brainstorming session. Yeah. But snow globed sounds like fun, and uh, we learned that it is not. No, you don't want to. You don't want to get, get, get snow globed. You do not. You do not want to get snow globed. Then we wrapped up at the end by talking about an artist that got their art stolen from them, and so they're now encouraging some shoplifting. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to really, if you're not watching the video podcast on the radio, you Facebook page or YouTube channel, you'll want to check in for that one. 
because there's a surprise. There is a surprise. You I will not about that. see it coming. You will not see it coming, but it, it is a surprise and the the turn that that topic takes. Yeah, it'll be grand for you guys. So uh, you got to see it to believe it. Uh, okay, good Monday. Grand we'll, show. We'll see you guys again tomorrow. We'll take some time, regroup. We'll be back here tomorrow, same time. Getting same, prepped for Thanksgiving. Yep. The countdown has begun. It has. Three days out. We're getting close. It's going to be a grand old time. All right, see you guys. We'll catch you next time. This information, mispronunciations, bad impressions. That's Hudson. This is The Riot on Radio U. Yesterday was the kickoff to the World Cup. I don't know if that's what they call it. I mean, it's a lot of kicking, but, you know, in football, it would be kickoff. In soccer, what are the, well, how do you start a game? I don't know. There's what like is a draw. I mean, I know what I know what they ha- what happened. It's just but... like two guys. At least is what I remember the, from from the, the middle FIFA video games. Two guys in the middle of the circle, and one of them kicks it to the other. Yeah, what's that called? A drop off? <laughs> you drop called. it. They just drop the ball in the uh, middle. And... So did uh, it was Qatar against Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you watch? Did you wake up for that? I did not wake up for that. You didn't watch a second of it. I didn't watch any of it. To be honest, did you with forget you. it was going on. No, I knew it was going on. You just didn't care that much. But the USA wasn't playing. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, they play later today. So I actually watched. Uh, a, a it was portion. Qatar and Ecuador, you Qatar said? Qatar and Ecuador. Yep, I, Qatar, I that. the host nation, Ecuador, uh, a South American country. And there was speculation, I don't know if you heard this, Isaiah, going into the game, that Qatar uh, already, like, I feel like everybody knows that the country, it's not known for soccer. It wasn't really set up to host a World Cup. And there was a, maybe a lot of oil money and bribery involved to get it to Qatar. Nice. In the first place. And then watching the game yesterday, or uh, then the next rumor was, well, there's going to be some bribery to like the El- Ecuadorian players. Because, you know, Ecuador, not exactly, uh, you know, a wealthy country. A powerhouse. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're going to bribe the players so that Qatar doesn't take an L in their first ever World Cup game on the major, you know, the World Cup stage where everybody's watching. Mm -hmm. And I watched part of the game yesterday, and, you know, this is, I'm a soccer, I know nothing about it, but it looked like Qatar was the one that took the bribes to lose the game. Oh, they were playing so bad. It was bad. It was so, it was bad. It was so bad because this is something that me, even as a non-soccer expert, I think I would be able to master. I think I can pick this out as a, as a layman, is when you get a throw-in from the sidelines, Yeah, you should throw it to your team. Always. And not, yeah, that's a rookie move, right? To throw it to the... The other team? To the opposite, a yellow jersey when you're wearing burgundy. But that's uh, not what Qatar chose to do. They wound up losing 2 nothing. So I just, I didn't know if you watched it. Yeah, uh, I didn't get to tune into it, but uh, when the USA plays, I'll be a little bit more in tune. What time yeah. are they on today? Do yeah, we know? Yeah, you've got USA, uh, 2 o'clock Eastern. Okay, beautiful, perfect time. Pacific, they'll be up against Wales, uh, so that's going to be a good game. And one of the things we were talking about on Friday 
was the head of the World Cup. The United States and Canada are both in it this time, which is rare. And so we were trying to figure out a little wager of what we should do uh, if, like, whoever's team. Obviously, I'm Canada. Canadian, it's in my blood. You're American. You would say, you would say, yeah. Uh, so very so, nice. Yeah. Uh, so whoever, whoever's team goes shorter, uh, we have to, we have to come up with a punishment. And I believe we've settled on one. What do you say? I would say so. I mean, the texts were pretty, uh, pretty overwhelmingly in favor of this. Yeah. So we had some suggestions. A lot of people saying that uh, we should swap jerseys, like somebody has to wear a jersey for maybe even a whole week. Uh, Oh, man. Which we we chose to not roll with that. Fingernail uh, painting was brought into the equation because I mentioned that that's something that's happened in the past for me. Uh, Again, close call, but we're going to say no on that. I tried to convince Isaiah to let the winner pick the loser's facial hair style for a while heavily against isaiah was really anti that i was heavily anti that and so uh but the most overwhelming suggestion we got is doing like the one chip challenge or some people said the death nut challenge and we think we can we think we can handle that that's going to be the thing we're going to do but when we do it we have to do it on a day that's not important to any outside activities for us. And probably towards like the end of the show, right? Yeah, it's got to be like a Tuesday when like I don't have any plans that night. Uh-huh. Just in case my stomach is just completely destroyed. Yeah, okay. I'm in like pain later on in the day. All right, we are. So that is the plan for our World Cup punishment. And, uh, and just to be clear, if the United States and Canada go down in the same round, we're both doing it. We are. Yeah, so uh, we're planning on that. Go Canada. Uh, USA. 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 Hudson. Nikki. The Riot. On Radio U. Today, Isaiah is here. Now, uh, talking of Thanksgiving, uh, I found this interesting. I stumbled upon here the rules for if you find dead animals on the side of the road in Tennessee. Okay. Uh, Obviously, neither of us live in Tennessee, but I was intrigued by looking at the rules a little bit uh, because, and now every state is different, but in Tennessee, if you find a dead turkey on the side of the road, you're allowed to just take that home. You take it home with you, huh? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's how it should be. Yeah, right. Because uh, what they say in Tennessee is, uh, if you they say they actually encourage you to take it because uh, if not, it says you're just gonna go to waste or feed vultures and coyotes. And who cares about vultures and coyotes? Yeah, and like on the side of the road, it looks gross sitting there it anyway. Does, yeah. It's I'm, I'm just cleaning up. You know, I'm cleaning up the road. Uh huh. But. What do you think about this, though? If you're eating food off of the side of the road that just would go to turkeys or coyote or uh, vultures or coyotes, does that make you like a vulture in a way? Yeah, I would say so. It makes you more of a coyote, I would say, than yeah, a vulture. Yeah, you're a coyote. You're a, I would like a so. scavenger. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're allowed to do that, and that applies to uh, turkeys. Uh, I think wild boar, you can go ahead and do that. Elk, if you happen to find an elk on the side of the road. That'd be a big win if you You find an elk. They're huge. Yeah, you ever eaten an elk? I've never eaten elk. I'd be open to it, though. Yeah, I mean, if it tastes anything like deer, which I imagine it would, deer's deer's great. I don't eat enough deer in my life. Yeah, I would say elk, uh, it's a big, big, juicy animal. I'm sure it tastes pretty good. Yeah, I bet you it does. So deer, obviously, you're allowed to take. So all of that now... This is here was a question that I had, and I'm glad that they answered it though. Uh, in Tennessee, you know, another big animal you have, another animal that you may be allowed to hunt in certain instances bears. Okay, yes, bears are in Tennessee. And so, what happens when a bear is dead on the side of the road? Are you allowed to just take that? Seems like a large animal, but I would say if everything else you're allowed to, why would you not be able to take a bear? Uh, You know what? I don't have an answer to why, but I do know that technically uh, it seems that you can take a bear if it's on the side of the road, but it's not like the other ones. Literally for every other like larger animal, and this is Tennessee, again, it's different from state to state, but I just thought it was all interesting that in Tennessee... Any of those other, like, animals that you would find, and most of them typically would, for a lot of people, you would eat them. Uh, It wouldn't just be to put the head up on your wall uh, after you found it on the side of the road. That wouldn't be very sporting anyways, would it? No. Uh, But those, you can just take them, and then you give, like, the wildlife, whatever, you give them a call and say, I found this, and that's it. Like, that's all you have to do. But with bears... There are several steps you have to go through if you find a black bear. And I guess the reasoning is there's a black market for black bear parts. So it's highly illegal to sell any kind of bear parts. Oh, like a this. claw, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what that means. Does maybe it mean like, like the, their organs for like transplants or. I don't know. I mean, what would outside of like just, I guess, the. The head, I mean, the coat. Well, I mean, what else could be that valuable on a bear? In my mind, it couldn't be that valuable. Yeah, I don't. I mean, but we aren't. I guess we just clearly. Don't live I mean, in I don't. You know, clearly, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. Uh, so, but you know, at the same time, though, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, like with bears, it, I, maybe it all depends on why you're taking it home. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so, but it sounds like you could just lie and say in the and just ask, be like, "I'm taking it, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat it," you know. Well, one, I guess if you take it, who would know? Yes, that's no the one. other thing. Like they say, you have to call about the other ones, but what if I don't? How are they gonna? What are they gonna find? If me? a tree if falls I don't call in the to woods, let them know I took it. How will they know I took it? And no one saw it. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, for the bear. Um, if it's like, if they ask you, right, like, let's say you call and you're, and they ask as part of the questionnaire, okay, I I legally have to ask these questions just to confirm you're not going to sell any of these black bear parts in the black market. Absolutely not. Yeah. I would never. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Of course not. That's not why I, I just did this to. 
get some good To be meat. honest, I'm going to hang it on my wall and uh-huh. just pretend as if I, I killed it myself. Would you eat the bear meat? I don't know. I think it'd be kind of cool, though, to have it in my house. It would, wouldn't it? To have it hanging on the wall. Would you tell people how it happened, that you just found it on the side of the river, or you make up a story? I would for sure make up a story. And they'd... People would question you. They'd I say, you don't go bear, bear hunting. I killed it with my bare hands. Yeah, right. I, I did it. I don't it go bear hunting, but I, it was chasing me, and it was either me or the bear. It'll be the last bear that wants to run into me <laughs> in the woods. That's right. The words too expensive aren't in Nikki's vocabulary. This is The Riot. Radio U. Uh, did you see this video going around? Of the sheep? You seen the sheep video all over the internet this weekend? I haven't seen it, but I'm seeing it right now. It'll be a long video to watch continuously, but uh, the, the, the video is from China. It is dozens of sheep, uh, and they are running in circles. It's like a big, uh, a big massive circle. With just sheep going around and around and around. And apparently this has been going for 12 days. 12 days? 12 days. That's almost two full weeks. Of sheep running in circles. And It's like one big group, too. Yeah. It's, it's a, a one a huge herd. group simultaneously and, moving together. And I don't think that, like, the sheep are tagging out. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like the same sheep. It's a big herd, and so, so so some of them will, you know, join the circle while others take a rest, I guess. And uh, it's been going on for 12 days, and uh, they don't exactly know why. It's kind of creepy. Yeah. It's creepy isn't me it? out. Isn't it? Doesn't it feel like a sign of, of the end times? Yes, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Sheep uh, are kind of creepy as is. They're like a creepy animal. I think they're like a part ever, of creepy things. You ever you look a sheep in the eyes? I've never looked a sheep in the eyes, no. They're very... I thought you were a farmer. Actually, you're right. I have definitely looked a sheep yeah, in the eyes. Yeah, you've looked right up in their face, haven't you? Right up in their eyes. We didn't, have sheep, have, the, in my, we didn't have sheep in my house, but you, when I went to like the fair and stuff, yeah. they would be there. Yeah, and you probably had like your hand in the sheep's mouth and stuff. I like never that. touched a sheep. I'd say I have pet, pet yes, sheep. They're have. really soft. Stop They're saying very things soft. that are clearly untrue. They're very soft. Uh, they, that is true. That is a, a Mark IV sheep. Uh, don't taste very good, though. Uh, but I don't know why everything has to has to Revolve around taste. Yeah, have to come back to food. But they are a creepy animal if you look at them. And then to watch them run around in circles for 12 days straight it just makes you wonder like obviously if it was one sheep you'd be like okay and it must have like some brain billy eating. bob is just kind of doing his own yeah, thing he's got a brain injury or some kind of like amoeba he's the special one. eating away yeah that would be one thing but this is a whole herd of sheep 12 days in a row they're running around in circles honestly if any animal or humans a large group of them ran around in circles for 12 days in a row nonstop. I think we we should be concerned because it seems like some kind of uh, supernatural force is causing them to do that. And it could be a sign of something to come. Yeah, this is definitely an odd video to watch. I'm just watching the sheep 
just make their rounds. Uh -huh. And it's just, I don't know, it'd just be creepy. I feel like the, the farmer clearly has no control of his herd. It's just another thing we need to keep an eye on. That's right. That, yeah, we, we need to get, uh, you know, somebody, some scientists and some experts need to get in there and, uh, you know, do some research because this is, this is concerning. Uh, or the only other explanation is these sheep are at the, the best metal concert of all time. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Circle Pit, baby. Circle Pit. Yeah, maybe that's what's going on. That's the only other explanation. While Isaiah is wishing for a girlfriend, Nikki and Hudson are just wishing for any friend at all. The Riot. Radio U. A video that's been going around the internet of these sheep in China. They have been running around in circles nonstop for 12 days, 12 entire days. And uh, it is a wild video to watch. Obviously, the video is not 12 days long, but it's crazy to think about that they've just been doing this this whole time. And Isaiah had a good question that was somewhat related. Yeah, I would say it's in the neighborhood because Hudson always you know, gives me a hard time as I'm a country boy. He's kind of a city boy. Um, and, uh, so for those of you out there who also reside in the country, just know that Hudson's against you. But, um, we talk about, uh, which of all the farm animals, if you could own one, which one are you picking? Mm, so what counts as a farm animal? You, you know, what, farm a you lot know of what the farm animals are. I'm talking about like pigs, cows, chicken, sheep, uh -huh. goat. goat. Yep. Uh, horse. Does horse horse count? horses count. Yeah, we'll count horses. Um, not really all that uh, beneficial, but we can count them. I I know my answer because I kind of want one. And As of now, it's a pig. Oh, a pig! I want a pig. Good answer. Pigs can live in my house. I don't have to. I don't have to build a stable. That is for true. A pig. I don't have to like have. I mean. I can just keep it in my house. You know what I mean? I don't have to buy extra property. I don't have to go outside to feed it and stuff. Just keep it in the house. It runs around with Safira the dog, and it's having a grand old time. Yeah, we, growing up at my house, we always had pigs. That was like the one animal that we always had. Like when I was younger, we had cows there. Uh -huh. But then we trans transitioned into pigs just because they're a little bit easier. Yeah. But they're like a big dog. Essentially, they're sort of like right. a 250-pound dog. Or they're you very just smart, get a smaller though. pig. And you get a smaller pig. That's like the, right. The, the pot belly pigs. One of my friends actually has had one of those that uh -huh. they, they kept in their house. But I've seen on like TikTok and stuff, people keep like all kinds of animals in their house. You see, there's like a goat online that they they keep in their house. That's real funny. That like plays with the dogs and stuff. So I haven't I think, seen that. Oh, it's funny. So you just think? Are you saying? I think there's a lot of things. If you keep any animal in your house with your dog. It'll just, it'll just add like the a dog, dog. lead and it will follow. It will think it's a dog. Yeah. And if you have a pig in your house, it'll for sure think it's a dog. Unless it's a hamster, then the dog will just eat it. Yeah, exactly. I've had that happen to and, friends before. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be an animal that's big enough to hold its own. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah, the pig inside the house, I mean, as long as it's a small enough pig, you keep it clean. 
yet again, very similar to a dog. Yeah, I, I think the pig is the only one, too, that, and quite frankly, I think I'd have a hard time bossing a pig around. Yeah. Like, it might wind up ruling my house, and I'd be its pet. But you talk about horses, you talk about cows, uh... They're gonna Against. they're gonna beat me up. They're bigger than me. They're just huge animals. Uh, yeah, uh, and so they're like I'm not going to be able to say anything to a horse. It's gonna make it. And I've no. And I've even had I've had a, a you know I know several dairy farmers from growing up, and they say the cows they just they, they're, they're so stubborn big. things. They're they're big and dumb, and they do whatever they want. They do. That's all factual. Yep. So and I the don't... horses, I'm against the horses. Yeah. People that can train the horses, you can ride them and whatnot. But I'm just not a horse guy. Kind of afraid of horses a little bit. Uh-huh. They kind of intimidate me. I'd be afraid to ride one, I think. And for me, that's just a no. I would also lean pig because I do have experience with pigs in the past. You know what happened to my neighbor with a horse? Fell off. Uh, no. Kicked. Arguably, I guess maybe not worse than both of those things potentially, but uh, very permanent. A horse uh, bit off one of my neighbor's ears. No way. Uh-huh. Got an ear on him, huh? Yeah, a little bit was, too close. Uh, you trust was... him too much. These animals aren't your friends. They no, aren't your friends. They are. They're just putting up with you because what are they going to do? They need uh, the food. You've You've trapped them, and yeah, you're feeding them. But they don't want to be around you. Let your guard down. Uh-huh. We'll take your ear. Turn your back on a on a horse, and the next thing you, can't you know, trust you can't hear a thing. The only thing Isaiah loves more than the riot is himself. Someone who probably still lives with his mother and hates himself. You're listening to the riot on Radio U. Talking of Krispy Kreme. While they still have the Thanksgiving pie donuts, they aren't even uh, in there, you know, the the dirt isn't even cold yet, or the body isn't even cold yet, and they're already moving on to Santa's new bake shop collection, the Christmas donuts of Krispy Kreme. These look fire. I can already tell you which ones are going to be good. You can tell me? I already know. Without even knowing what the flavors are, just by looking at the picture? I could tell by looking at the picture uh-huh. which ones. There's two that are going to be better than the others. Okay. And then after I read them, I agreed with my previous statement. With what you said. Okay. Yep. So uh, let's get the uh, the old ones out of the way. They're bringing back Santa's belly donut. Which is, they say it's a fan favorite, so no wonder they're bringing it back. It's, you know, a donut decorated like Santa's, um... Belt and his belly, yeah, and uh, it's filled with uh, cream. And then the chocolate iced with holiday sprinkles donut. That's obviously pretty standard, just chocolate donut icing and chocolate uh, Christmassy sprinkles. But then we have, uh... We have the new red velvet cake donut, a red velvet cake donut topped with cream cheese icing and red velvet cake crumbles. Was that one of the ones? That's a mid-tier, mid-tier. If it wasn't a cake donut, 
Then we could talk. I'm not a cake donut guy. Yeah. So if you like cake donuts, you probably love that. For me, I'm not a big cake donut guy. A little heavy. I love red velvet, and I love the cream cheese oh. icing. Those are big wins for me. Uh-huh. But it being a cake donut really brings it down to middle tier. I think you shouldn't. You don't sell that short. It might be okay. It might be okay. But it's a middle tier for now. I'm not saying it's going to be bad. Yeah. But it's not going to be my favorite. Because there's two that I'm excited, more excited for. Red Velvet is, I don't know. Like I feel like especially around this time of year, they like to bring it out. But I don't know who, I, like do you, you say you're a big Red Velvet guy. I am. Like a Red Velvet cupcake. Don't even get me Super started. Super into that. Love it. Love I didn't know that there was that many people out there that really are oh, in. Oh, yeah. Like, that that's a favorite flavor. Red Velvet? Oh, yeah. yeah. And a real popular. I feel like it's an aqua, you know, like a specific taste. Mm. Uh, okay. What about the gingerbread cookie crumb donut? A donut filled with gingerbread cream cheese dipped in white icing topped with gingerbread cookie crumbs and holiday sprinkle blend, then drizzled with gingerbread icing. I oh, see yeah. it over there. This one looks good. Off picture alone, when I looked at it, I was like, that's something that I'm going to like. That does look like it's it got looks a lot good. of potential. You can see in the picture, it looks like it's real. I mean, obviously, when we get it, it's not going to be covered like pretty. it is in this picture with all the toppings and whatnot. But based off picture and description, that one looks like it's a top tier donut out of this bundle here. It's got a lot of chance, uh, a lot of a lot of a good, good opportunity to be good. Uh, high ceiling, yeah, high ceiling on this one. Cookie crumb donut. I'll tell you, I'm not. I don't do just regular gingerbread. I would never. You it's give me, okay. You give me a plate of Christmas cookies, I'm not picking the gingerbread. I'm not going to pick them either, but I'll do it for the season. I'm yeah. going to have at least one. And and some gingerbread stuff really does shine. Oh, yeah. It's a great flavor. Okay, finally, we have the new sugar cookie donut, an original glazed donut with sugar cookie icing and topped with sugar cookie sprinkle blend. It's pretty simple. Oh, I love this. But uh, what else do you need? You know, that kind of just shines on its own. This one's probably going to be my top one. This right here. It's my kind of donuts. I love a good sugar cookie, number one, my favorite kind of cookie. Uh But also I can tell, yet again, based off picture alone, this looks like what is typically my favorite donut, Uh which is just like the regular old, like, uh, sprinkle donuts. That's like one of my go-to ones, the ones that are covered in sprinkles with the vanilla icing, my go-to. That looks like that, maybe a little better with the sugar cookie involved. I'm loving that. That is one that I would consider a... To put it in sports terms, that's got a, a high floor. Oh, yeah. You're There's not going to mess no that way up. The sugar cookie donut is going to be bad. Yeah, that's a high floor. You're right. Uh, now, how high, high, how high is the ceiling? It's not a filled donut. I love the f- donuts with See, filling inside. See, I'm not as inside. much filled. So that's just, for me, I'm not a big filled guy. Okay. Well, uh, you know what? There's definitely something for everybody. Uh, this is not sponsored by Krispy Kreme. I'm just saying. I'll tell you this much. Santa's belly, bottom tier. Yeah. I can tell based off just the icing alone. Uh Uh-huh. Not going to be for me. Not as good. But uh, you know what? When we get closer to Christmas, we'll back around. Maybe once Nikki's here, we'll get some uh, Krispy Kreme Christmas donuts, and we'll see once and for all for sure which of these shine, at least if they give all five of them to us. We'll see. (laughs) 
We're not sure who behaves worse, the riot or their dogs. I don't even know how to behave like a real human being. The riot. Radio U. It's time for our for our Monday tradition, Isaiah. Football headlines. What a special week it is. Yeah. What a great special edition of the football headlines. Counting you're... down the days. Yes. Before the big game. Every day. Uh, well, you know, we'll get to that. Uh, but let's talk about what happened this past weekend, which actually my uh, my first headline is college favorites narrowly escape defeat except Tennessee. Uh, all the teams that were in the college football playoff race, it seems, pretty much all the ones near the top, Michigan, Ohio State, TCU, USC, Georgia, they all had close calls where they, uh, for most of those games, it came down to the last, like in the last two minutes, it was still up in the air. Michigan and TCU were both trailing there. Right at the end of the game. They were. Uh, and Ohio State. You watched the Ohio State game against Maryland. Mm-hmm. Did you feel in the fourth quarter like, oh, this might not work out for us? I was a little bit worried when they got the ball back. Uh-huh. I was a little bit upset they got the ball back at the end. But I was confident when they got the ball back on like their own five-yard line yeah. that they wouldn't be able to drive the field on us and go down and beat us. Yeah, that was uh, that was... That was, uh, but it was scary. Uns- I won't say I was afraid. I was yeah. afraid. Uh, rooting for Maryland, it was an unceremonious way to end the game. Too. Yes. It wasn't even like, oh, they drove down the field and it was close. It came but they up short. Yeah, no. no, they just get, uh, they've, you know, their offense is cooking all game pretty much. And then they get just the quarterback annihilated twice in a row. So, uh, that's what sets up. Uh, with Tennessee losing, this is good for you as an Ohio State fan, is there's a decent possibility now, I feel, that the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game still gets into the college football playoff. Which I would say, I was talking about that last week. Hudson and I were talking off air about the college football playoff, and I said, I feel like there's a chance, depending on how things play out, that could happen. Uh But the good thing is, for me, going into this game on Saturday... I'm not even worried about it. You're not worried. Ohio State's going to win, so I'm not worried about uh, who gets to if the loser gets in or not, because that won't be the Buckeyes. So. All right, if you say so. Uh, how about we talk about this one? The Cowboys spank the Vikings, forty to three. Unreal. Can you believe one week ago today, someone on this show was like. They're the best team in the league, the Vikings. I said the best team in the NFC. The best team in the NFC. And I have retracted my statements. I've jumped off the Vikings bandwagon. Uh, uh, I'm off of them now. I loved watching that. I didn't watch much of it because it was over pretty quickly. It was. But I did love watching what I did watch because I don't, you know, I'm a Packers fan. I hate the Vikings. See, I think the Vikings will will beat up on all the bad teams, uh-huh. and they're gonna they're always gonna win the games they're supposed to win. But when it comes to playing against elite level teams, yeah, they're always gonna lose. So when the playoffs, I think they'll probably win in the first round, and then they're gonna get bounced in the second. Yeah, once they face some real competition. Uh, how about how about this one? 
Bills bounce back against the Browns. The Bills obviously lost to the Vikings, and everybody was wondering, is that, you know, they got like a mental thing, and then they faced the Browns in Detroit, and uh, they, you know, they took care of business. Yeah, Browns came out hot, as we uh, always do. We scored the first drive. We go up on them 10 to 3. And then after that, the offense was abysmal. The defense was even worse. And the Brownies fell to the Buffalo Bills, as was expected. But there was a point in the game where I was like, hmm, maybe we can do this. Yeah. And yet again, I was incorrect. No, yep. So your season, I mean, it's really it's over. over now. It's, it's over. Really over. Uh, Okay, I got two more quick ones for you. Uh, Patriots win on walk-off punt return TD. Such a Patriots way to win. Yeah. Their special teams taking a punt return back, winning 10-3. to I'm just always shocked they can win games. I was watching that game with my wife, and I was, uh, you know, it was 3-3 to for most of the game. The Patriots missed a bunch of field goals, but, and I... Uh, like, you know, back in the Patriots because I don't like the Jets. And, yeah, I don't like the uh, Jets either. Overrated frauds. Yeah. Go on. And uh, the, I was never concerned the Patriots would lose, but I was concerned the game would end in a tie because they also could, the Patriots could have moved the ball. And I said to my wife, I said, the only way this game is ending is if somebody gets like a defensive touchdown or a pump return touchdown. That's exactly what happened. Uh, Zach Wilson, worst quarterback in the league, shouldn't be, shouldn't be. Yeah, it was tough, a tough game to watch. There. Uh, but if the Jets want to keep playing him because I don't like him, uh, the Jets. That works. Yeah, go ahead, go right ahead. Finally, Argos outduel Blue Bombers for Grey Cup title. Oh, the Grey Cup. Yeah, you I watched that. Had no that? idea it was that even was going on. That was an exciting on. game. The Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League. Uh, they lost their quarterback. He got injured during the game. It still wound up winning. The backup comes in to save the day. Yeah, that's right. Chad Kelly, you might remember him from Ole Miss. Oh, Chad Kelly. A, a backup for the Denver Broncos. So uh, if you missed out on the Canadian uh, football championship, you really missed out. Big uh, game. There's your football headlines. Your For You page would be a lot more fun if it had Hudson, Nikki, and Isaiah. Follow at Radio U Official on TikTok. The right. Radio U. You're a big haircut guy. I have a haircut plan for this week. You ever been described that way before? I don't know that I have. Big haircut guy. I do get my haircut a lot. I'm probably going to get my haircut this week on Wednesday. If, if you asked me top 10 things about you, like if someone was like, tell me about Isaiah, 10, 10 bullet points. The haircut guy would be in the top 10? He'd be in the top 10. Jeez. I'd say he gets his haircut like every seven days. I told you a lot about somebody. Does it? Yeah. Uh, well, let me give you, I don't know if you need this advice, but see if you agree with it since you are a big haircut guy. Something my grandpa always used to say. Grand, I probably don't agree. Granddad used to say. He said, uh, the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut two weeks because if you get a bad haircut two weeks later uh, it's gonna be good be haircut You're, you know out. what yeah. that's true that's you think true. it's true yeah see if my granddad were here today he's not dead but like if he was here today with us i would say i'm not so fast granddad i don't really? know if that's true because 
think about this. If you get a bad haircut, right? If it's just like, oh, you know, he the barber missed a spot or something. Like, that's one thing. That's two weeks. Cut it too short. But if you get, like, a bad haircut, people remember that, right? That is true. Like, if I went ahead and got bangs at my next haircut, yeah. then everybody who knows me now and saw me with bangs, I'd be bangs guy for yeah, a long you're right. time. It does, right? it does sit there for a little bit. Like, I'm getting my haircut for this weekend for the Ohio State-Michigan game. Yeah. And so I'm going to see people on Saturday on the field. that I don't usually see, uh-huh. and they're going to remember me with the haircut I get on Wednesday. That's, Big haircut That's for me. right. That's uh, So a lot, of, a lot hanging on. Make sure you tell your barber that. I will. Uh, so here's what I want to let you know. Sometimes in life, like, so there's some mistakes that just feel like they're here and they're gone, whatever. But there's some things that happen that are a bit, like a real bad haircut that sticks with you for a long time. It's hard to shake that. But Jesus can help you shake that. Jesus can help wipe that away. You know, it's, it's nice to have somebody that comes in after you've been defined as one certain thing and somebody you meet somebody new that sees you with a fresh slate. That's how God sees you. He doesn't see you defined by one or five or whatever things that happened to you in the past. He sees you as who you are. He loves you. He's he's not going to remember the one dumb thing you did that really screwed up. That's not what he's going to hold over your head. He's not going to make jokes about it. He's not going to call you bangs guy. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to help you through life and move past the stuff that might be defining you now. If you're ready for that, all you need to do is ask, say, hey, God, I want you in my life. I want you to show me a different way to live. Go from there. The Riot with Hudson and Nikki on Radio U. And we talked uh, about some dating trends uh, recently that, that are concerning. Winter coding is one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you, you know, just the same way you bust out a winter coat uh, and then quickly forget about it as soon as the weather warms up. Uh, some people do that with uh, with with their exes. Mm-hmm. Be, they just want to be with somebody. They'll bust them out for the for the holidays, for the Christmas season. The Christmas you go back season. to your ex for a little bit, then yeah. you're out of there. And then once the weather warms up, you're like, I'm on to bigger and better things, and I don't need you. Uh, that was one. We've talked about a few, but Isaiah's brought a new one to our attention here. Yeah, this one's similar to the to Winter Coding about. Act. Is it? But this one's a little bit different, a little twist on it. Okay. It's what called snow globing. Oh, that sounds fun. It sounds fun, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Not so much fun. Well, it is fun for one person involved. The other person, <laughs> not so much. Okay, what is snow globing? So essentially, you're getting snow globed if uh, you're, you've been talking to somebody, maybe not all that serious, right? And uh-huh. then all of a sudden, you're closing in on Thanksgiving, Christmas right around the corner, they're getting like real like attached to you. Uh-huh. They're trying like maybe like pushing going to your Christmas events with your family, Christmas parties. They want to go to every single one with you. They're acting as if like you guys are really meant to be. Yeah. And then taking once, a bunch of steps. Yeah, it's make, moving fast. Things yeah. are moving quick with you. Uh-huh. Things start to seem more serious. And then January third rolls around. Crickets. And what happens? Crickets, huh? 
out of there. And how is that? Ghosted. You're gone. How is that like? Kick to the curb. <laughs> Over. That? Lonely. Stop again. <laughs> how is that like a snow globe is what I was trying to get I don't at. really, I, I think maybe just because it's all like the your relationship is compact into like a, oh. a, a certain point in time. Uh-huh. And you're kind of trapped in there, and then Wait. once New Year's Eve comes around, then uh-huh. it's pretty much over. Oh, see, I was thinking like all the emotions are getting shaken up. Oh yeah, and you're then spinning once, that thing. Once the holidays are over, they settle down. Okay, yeah, I, like I think that. that makes sense. That makes sense. Everything yes. settles and kind of rests, and uh, in the cold light of day, uh, the the very cold light of January, you realize. It, uh, you know, maybe, you've been hoodwinked. Yeah, let astray. Things have gone too far, uh, and they went in the direction you didn't think they were going, and you were excited about it, maybe. Uh, but you're saying though, like this may even be a thing that people aren't doing intentionally. Yeah, probably not. Where they're just, you know, they're getting amped up. They're the excited. Holidays, the fuzzy feelings are flowing. Yep. Uh, and you have some big moments together, you know, a, a family meal, like you introduce them to the family, maybe, maybe like you that's go a big to the, Maybe you're like doing like the zoo lights. There's a lot of romantic yeah, things you can do right. around Christmas, time Thanksgiving time, you know, your dates are a little bit cuter than the normal dates because you can do Christmassy stuff, yeah. which is a little bit more loving, you know? Uh-huh. Maybe they get you a nice gift. Oh, you're talking about presents yeah, now. If they they're really pushing like win gifts. you over with a gift. You know what? That happens too. Maybe they're pushing doing presents. Uh-huh. Maybe you weren't really thinking we were doing presents. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm Christmas shopping for you. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I better get her a gift, I guess. I yeah. guess we're doing gifts. And then she's like, I'm so excited and then you to get meet like your a family. Really nice necklace mm-hmm. for her. And she gets you, like, you know. A jack, you know, like, I don't know, Jack, a scarf. A scarf? Yeah. She's like, I just really, it, this really made me, me think of you. It really made upset. me think of you. And then you're realizing this is imbalance. And that's where you realize it's the beginning of the end. It's the end. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, so maybe if you're talking to somebody right now that shouldn't be as serious as it is, maybe you pump the brakes on slow them. Slow play it. Mm-hmm. And play see, it cool. Don't get too attached right now. Don't get too deep and then see how things look on January 3rd. Yeah, you do you want you want to wait it out a little bit. See how it's feeling in January. Don't get too excited this right is, now. It's cautionary for yourself that you don't want to start snow globing and you don't want to get snow globed. You don't want to get snow globed. I'll tell you what. They got to stop giving these harmful dating trends such fun names. Though. I know it sounds They're like a great really thing. not making it like if somebody says, "Hey, you want to be snow globed?" I don't know. Yeah, Actually, do. that does kind of sound. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that, but sure, I do. So I don't know. We we got to rethink that. They got to we got to be more clear names. Like the you know, if you if there's poison, there's that guy, Mister Yuck or whatever, mm-hmm. and he, it's very clear. That's something you don't want. You don't want that. You but don't snow globed. Yeah, snow globe. We need a Mister Yuck for dating. Terms. Maybe I want to be snow globed. I don't know. <laughs> Hudson and Isaiah seem like they know a lot about sports, yet somehow it's Nikki that always gets it right. The Riot Radio U. Now, Isaiah, uh, how many, how many painters do you think you can name? Three. Three? 
Let's go for it. Michelangelo. Okay. I've got Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. Yep. I was going to say DiCaprio for a second. No, I've got, um, geez, come on. I can definitely do one more. You can, You have to. Donatello. No, that's a Ninja Turtle, I believe. Oh, I was just going to go through all the Ninja yeah, Turtles. Yeah, they're all Those... named after painters, probably. Yeah, I think so, right? You, you so know what? Three. You might be right. I'm pretty <laughs> I don't sure. Know. Andrew Donatello. Donatello? Uh, he may be a painter. Let me look it up here. Continue on. Donatello, Raphael. Yep. Is he... Uh... Is it may you could be actually you may be very right about that. I I'm not as well versed in Ninja Turtle lore, uh, and I was gonna say I was thinking it's hard to name a bunch of painters anyways, but you know you can do it. You think of the famous painter Van Gogh, Van Gogh, Rembrandt yeah. is a big one. Picasso obviously more contemporary, and uh, but nowadays though painting. There's not that many famous painters, right? No. Like no. you can't name a single painter nowadays except for one. Banksy. Right? I have no idea who that you, is. You've not heard of Banksy. I don't know who I that is. I think he's a lot bigger in the UK, but he is like international he's like the one painter right now that is like internationally is he good or something like what's the deal with him i don't know he's that good i don't know enough about art to really be able to say but here's something that happened banksy is again especially in the uk uh he's an anonymous painter nobody supposedly nobody actually knows who he is uh which is also pretty impressive that he's so committed to the art so committed to the bit that in a world of Everybody wanting attention, he doesn't. But here's what here's what did happen. Uh, apparently, a guess. You ever wear guest clothing? I do not, but I know what it is. Though I am familiar with that. Yeah, I wear a lot of guests. But I've no, been, you do not. What do you mean? I've never seen you wearing guests. I'm wearing guest jeans right now. No, you're not. You want they, me to get up and make show guest you? jeans? Yeah, co- hold on. Uh, I can sure. see you on camera. Look, Just stand up. Look, can you see the thing on, the, on my pants? Did you see it? I didn't know what he saw. I guess saw the, it. the camera's in the or or the, uh, the screen is in the way. It's a guest. It's guest G. Anyways, I I gotta rethink it because here's what happened. Guess a guest store, a guest shop in the UK used Banksy's uh, one of his murals in their store setup. They, I don't know, like they printed it or whatever, but they used it as part of their ads in their store. And so Banksy didn't take so kindly to that. And so he took to Instagram and said, attention all shoplifters, please go to the guests on Regent Street. They've helped themselves to my artwork without asking how can it be wrong for you to do the same with their clothes? Oh, so he's asking for people to shoplift. He's encouraging that because in his eyes, that's what guests did to him, which, I mean, if they didn't if they didn't even ask, because I don't know if Banksy makes money off of his art. He's anonymous. Nobody knows who he is. And but it's about the art. He's known. Uh-huh. For being a freehand graffiti artist. Yes, graffiti is his thing. Isn't that against the law? See? 
But uh, I think it's public. Pro- I think it's law. public property or something. I don't know. Mm, interesting. Uh, uh, so, what do you think? Is you're are you siding with it? I mean, I don't know where I stand because I think that if they stole things, if they if the things they stole uh-huh. is graffiti, and it's just on a on a random wall somewhere. Yeah, but it's still his artwork. But who even is he? We don't even know who he is. Whose is it? We don't so, know. So you're saying maybe they don't know who to ask. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he has an Instagram. Yeah, but so like, you could DM him on. Maybe Instagram. they were just walking by a wall where someone just popped spray a painted on there, yeah. and they were like, "That's kind of cool." And so somebody snapped it on their phone. Maybe we'll use it, and then guess re- reprinted that out and put it in their store. Could be. I don't know. I, I think, uh, at least for most of us, you see that and you think, well, obviously he's he's not telling people to seriously shoplift, but he is trying to make a point. Is point proven? Yeah. I mean, you can't just go. We know this. You can't already. shoplift. You can't, yeah, but you, you can't also, steal either. You also can't just go stealing, uh, you know. People's work. Art. Yeah, people's work and using it to promote your own stuff. We don't do that. I think once we get the clarification from guests on if it, they did steal it, they need to they need to comp him some money. Yeah, or at least apologize. Do something. Uh, take the take top selling the clothes. Give him some jeans. Give him a pair of jeans. Yeah, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. It. Might make it all worth it. You won't hear a show like this anywhere else. And that's probably for the best. The worst of the riot. Radio U. Thanksgiving later this week, where it's almost here. And are your uh, are your mouth is your mouth watering? Are you licking your chops? Thinking of the turkey? You're gonna. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready to to uh, eat it. I think it tastes pretty good. I'm a turkey fan. I like turkey. Your family, what do they do? The roast turkey? I can't, I couldn't even oven. tell you. Pop it in the oven or well, they don't deep options. fry it? No, fry no, it. we don't deep Smoke fry it. Smoke it? No, we, we, we roast it. Get it spatchcocked? Now that you're saying these these different uh, options, we definitely roast it. You don't do the like a brick on the turkey? Don't think so. Spatchcock it? No, we're not spatchcocking. All right. Uh, for Thanksgiving for the turkey... Are you more of a, is there like a, a debate? Because you, you got it like, you got three brothers. Mm-hmm. You got a, a bigger family. Yep. Other people also get involved, right? It's not just the five of you. Yep, there's and, other people there, uh-huh. yeah. So uh, is there a fight over like the turkey leg or anything like that? The dark meat, the white oh, meat? Oh, there's no fight. There's no fight? Is What is it, evenly divided? How do you do that? I get the turkey leg. How long has that been a tradition? Every time I grab it, there's not really a spoken thing. Uh-huh. I just always end up with it. This is a couple. I, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's always been a thing, but the past couple Thanksgivings I have came away with it. So the leg is your favorite part. Huh? The leg is my favorite part. You give me a leg, a, a turkey leg. That's if that's on the plate. That's I'm, I'm automatically taking it. The leg over the thigh. Leg over the thigh every time. I think the turkey thigh. Is the the thigh the golden part of the turkey? Really? Yeah. That's... What's the thigh looking like? I need to look at this. Well, you is know that what a is chicken that darker, thigh is, is like? Is that darker than light? It's light. I mean, oh. dark. no, it's dark. It's dark. It's dark? No, I think uh, with I was gonna say with chicken, I can live with 
the the white meat, you know. Oh, you get the thigh, but with a the thigh is awful. With a turkey, you want dark meat. Yeah, you want the dark. The white meat of a turkey is garbage. Yeah, the white meat's so dry, and I don't care how you cook it. You can tell me, oh, I spatchcock it, we brine it forever, whatever. Don't, I don't want to hear it. The The white meat is complete garbage. The dark meat is better. But the thigh is better than the leg. No, the leg is so much better. The leg is so much better. I think, well, I mean, this is good, though, that we... We, we both agree dark is, is superior. Yep, yeah, it's for by far better. You ever dive into the wing? You go a turkey wing. Mm, I don't know if I go wing. Technically, that's white meat. Is it? Uh, I, th- I believe that it is. A little crispier, huh? But I think you can, uh, you know, you do that thing where you can make it into a, a, a mini drumstick. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I do delve into the wing. You do delve into the wing. I like a nice crispy Once wing Once the on two there. legs are gone. See, I only get one leg. I don't know who's getting the other leg. I don't you don't know even know? But this year, I will say I'm a little bit worried. Because this year, it's a big Thanksgiving. I heard like 50 people. No, you're kidding me. I'm not joking. 50 That's what I just I, I just found that out last night. Fifty people. How many of those people do you even know? Uh, around ten. <laughs> this, that's a, uh, insane. Uh, you, you know what? I know it's insane. Oh, I hope there's more than one. There, I hope there's more than I don't one know turkey. Who's in charge so you have of the more turkeys. than two legs to go around. See, my family's in charge of the mashed potatoes. Okay, and we're For talking fifty, 50 people. people. Yeah, it's a you lot of potato, like a lot many, of mash. How many potatoes per? What's the potato per person? See, ratio? we're thinking we're thinking either I think a half a potato per head. That's it. That's what we're saying. That's not. Enough. I heard fifteen to twenty pounds of potatoes is what we're cooking with. So half a pound per head. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Something like that. You I said know. half a potato. Oh, I don't and know. I was I thinking, no chance. I don't know what I don't know what the ratio is. Clearly, I'm not in charge of it. That's yeah, my mom's evidently. thing. I'm just showing if up. You live on your own. What are you bringing? No, I'm not a part of that. They don't even know who I am. They don't even know I'm coming. <laughs> you could just the blend in with the other fifty. This. Yeah. If when I walk in, they won't even know if I'm, a, if I'm a part of the family or not. You might not even show up. No, I have to show up. Oh, you have to show up. I have to show face. Yeah. yeah. Famous guy like you in the family, it's a big deal. I'm gonna walk in there. I have no idea who I am. I asked if we're wearing name tags. I didn't know for You'll sure just what's be going on. Turkey leg guy. You just heard the worst of the worst. We'd give you the best of the best, but we'd have to find that. As soon as we do, you'll be the first to know.